Dr. Pepper, Doc, Dr. Pepper, cause it never lets you down. Frosty, man, frosty. Show starts in one minute. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. What is it? Hey, why it's buttercup? Popcorn, add some butter to hot popcorn. Mix it up, wrap it up, buttercup is born. It's delicious. So nutritious. It's a taste delight. It's so munchy. Crisp and crunchy. You'll enjoy each bite. Eat butter crunched buttercup. Popcorn at its best. Served in a king-size cup. And now, on with the show. Monsters and maniacs, creatures and ghosts, what type of horrors will be your show? What is up, everyone, and welcome to the Horror Cast. This is episode number 34. So, with these special episodes, we'll be putting our tops down, parking our vehicles, tuning into the correct radio station as we start our new special series of reviews. So, make sure to turn off your headlights and enjoy the features tonight. Recline your seats, sit back, relax, and enjoy the. Bleh. Recline your seat, sit back, relax, and enjoy the first feature of our Horrorcast Drive-In, episode number one. So, during these special episodes that we have planned, we will be diving head-deep into all things about the American classic Drive-In Theater. We will talk some history, some personal experiences, and some of the greatest films to come out from that special time. And just a heads up that our format is going to be a little different than our regular episodes, but don't worry too much there, because with the Horrorcast Drive-In, we will be doing two movie reviews, as we always do, full of spoilers. Just that it has to be a part of the Drive-In. So, I am your host this evening, Walshy, podcasting from my room of all horrors in Pittston, Pennsylvania. Now let me bring in the other hosts tonight. First, we have a special guest, a true OG listener, and the Horrorcast pinch hitter, from California, Jerry Cortez. Welcome back, dude. Hey, thank you very much, Walshy. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us, and I am very excited to talk about these two drive-in classics tonight. Yeah, me too, man. Glad to have you back, Jer. Thank you. Okay, next, let's bring in the engine of this ride, the man behind all things HorrorCast, and he also come up with this great idea of the HorrorCast drive-in. Welcome from Southern Maryland, Mark Nato. What's up, man? Hey, what's up, Walshy, man? It's uh, it's awesome to be here, and I'm excited about this series because uh, I think if there was any era of time that I would like to have gone back and visited, it's the 50s. I mean, so just, true. Uh, oh, such an awesome time. You know, just the um, uh, the drive-in culture, uh, the drive-through. I mean, just all of that stuff. I'm I'm looking forward to this because, frankly, we're all young guys here. Nobody was there to see it. Um, but there were some incredible horror, sci-fi, goofy movies coming out in the 50s at the drive-in, and uh, I can't wait to tackle them. Yeah, dude, it's so true. Uh, it's such a great idea, Mark, so props to you. And I always tell my mother and father, 
I was born in the wrong time because my two favorite decades are the 50s and 80s. And I really do mean that. So I'm so glad that we have these movies to look back on and some great documentaries. Uh, I kind of wish it was that time. But, hey, we can relive it. You're a greaser at heart, aren't you? Oh, dude, I'm telling you. My hair is slicked back right now as we speak. So Uh, While she is podcasting with his hair slicked back, a white T-shirt, and a pack of cigarettes rolled up in his sleeve. I'm telling you. Two of the three, Mark. Two of the three. You nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's get in the man behind the incredible blog that delves into all sorts of the beloved genre, TheRevenantReviews.com. And he has the brains of the bunch from Northern Connecticut. What's up, Revenant Ben? Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, just like you guys, I'm really excited to talk about not just these films of this era. Um, I've also kind of had this this somewhat of a of an infatuation with the 1950s, probably yeah. ever since at a very young age, probably ever since I saw Leah Thompson as Lorraine Baines. Uh, I think yeah, my buddy. mind is always my, there's always been a piece of my mind in this era. Um, <laughs> But no, it's it's a it's a really interesting time period, uh, and I'm really excited to talk about it today. Yeah, dude, it's it's this is gonna be great. This is gonna be great. I have to take a quick break. Uh, Do it. Said he just said Lorraine Baines, and uh, <laughs> I just have to. Perfect. I have to. That was some good stuff right there. It was a beautiful. I think movie. any man could deal with that. We yeah, hear you. Yeah. Hear you. Yeah. yeah and, right, I, so and I did want to say, Walshy, just. Yeah. Let people know that our regular theme music will be back. Oh, but, that's right. But I did a little 50s <laughs> drive-in theme for this, and, you know, that's all me. So if it sounds like crap, sorry, I just thought it would be hilarious. Whoa, whoa, be whoa. Fun. Not because it's our show, dude. Props, man. High five. That was great. I, I wouldn't do it. I would not be able to do it. And I, I totally think you nailed the vibe. So... I cannot wait to see what the listeners think. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure Mark's going to be well, heading on the road soon. Well, I'm, singing I'm not that quitting single. my day job. Definitely. Oh uh, well, you never know, dude. <laughs> but I, I enjoyed doing it. So. Oh, dude, it's great. I, I you nice. had a, you had a yeah, smile. Mark, here. Yeah, you, you made my night when you uh, sent that file to us to, to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good, so good, dude. Well, Mark, uh, tell the people wh- why did you come up with this idea? I know you kind of already went over that you love the genre, or. Um, and, t- and tell them the films we'll be reviewing. So go ahead. Well, I came up with the idea just because I really like that era. I love drive-in theaters. I grew up, uh, the, th- the theaters um, had not yet died out. I guess there is still one drive-in theater in my area. It's, it's about an hour and 15 minutes from my house. Uh, it's in up, in, up in Baltimore. Uh, but pretty much Every other drive-in theater that I know is just died out, and I think they died out really completely in the 80s. Because um, I remember in the, the late 70s, early 80s, still going to my uh, local drive-in theater. That's where I saw um, The Shining uh, as a really small kid, way too young wow. to be watching The Shining. Um, it, it's where I saw Jaws. It's where I saw lots of uh, movies from, from back back in the day so i just love that you know being outside being in your car you know um it's just you know tuning the radio get your own little uh theater you know surround sound system in there it was just a cool thing a cool idea uh you have to get up and and go to the to the shake uh the shake shack or whatever it is and get your drinks and your food and come on back and i I don't know it just fascinates me um, and I know Vin is going to talk a little bit about the history 
of the the drive-in and and you know how it kind of I mean it was a phenomenon. I mean there there were I don't know if he'll even say it, but I thought I read there was like three or four thousand uh, drive-in theaters in the United States at its height in like the fifties. I mean guys, that is I mean that's crazy that there were that many drive-in theaters. So and 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 also I also wanted to um to visit some of these movies that I necessarily uh, that I hadn't necessarily seen or seen in quite a long time. Uh, I guess you'd call them classics. Some of the ones that we will be talking about, like tonight, absolute classics, horror sci-fi classics. And that's what a lot of these movies are, is horror slash sci-fi. That was like a, a the sci-fi thing in the 50s, uh, you know, the space exploration and, and all that. The atomic bomb and all and all the radiation that you know, giant monsters and and craziness. There were so many movies that came out, and uh, and there's some that I just haven't seen. So we're going to talk a little bit about you know some of those movies and 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 some of them might not be the greatest, but they are fun. They're fun to watch. Um, kind of put yourself in the in the shoes of of the people who went to see them back in in the day. So. That's why I picked it. I'm looking forward to, to going through and, and kind of changing things up. You know, we're not going to be talking about movies from 2016, 17. Uh, we're going way back. So I'm excited. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm going to say I'm lucky enough to have two drive-ins. And I know another great idea, uh, you didn't mention it, though, is that it's summertime. Uh, and drive-in is the summer. I mean, it oh, means yeah. the summer. Everything about it. So I know that was a big reason why we actually pu- held off to do it for the summer release. So, um, but I have two drive-in theaters like within uh, a ten-minute drive. One of them down in Scranton, and then I have another one uh, about twenty minutes away, which is a little bit better. It's called the Garden, and they're still going strong, man. Cheap, amazing food. You know the hot dogs, the hamburgers, the milkshakes, everything that that you know the hand-dipped ice cream. They got it all. Um, and it, my personal experience is I still go to these, so I have them in my life and I love them today. That's why when I look back, I can imagine like, I think that has such a big hit on me. Like, well, oh man, I wish I was up in the fifties. Mm-hmm. I wish I was around because yeah. it, it's just such an amazing, there's, there's no way to say how amazing of a feeling it is to see one of your favorite movies. And, and I, I said this story before, but I'm lucky enough every single Halloween, we get a Halloween themed, um, you know, a, a scare. And a hayride around it. And then at the end, if you want, you watch a movie, they'll play a classic. I saw The Thing. I saw It. I mean, I saw some fantastic movies in the drive-in. And this is just in the last two years. So uh, awesome. it holds a place in my heart. It, I, it is, dude. I'm curious. Vin and Jerry, are there any drive-ins around your area? Yeah, I want to hear their personal experiences. You guys have any experience with drive-ins? I have a huge experience with drive-ins growing up. Um, my parents, I mean, one of my first movie-going memories I have is from before I was 10 years old, and it was my parents taking me to see a double feature of, get this, uh, Horror Hospital and Blood Eaters. <laughs> yes, <laughs> a classic yes. double feature. 
And the funny thing is, I'm I, uh, my father was not into horror movies, but I know my mother was, so I'm sure my father wasn't too happy that night. But yeah, I just have a great memory. I, I still have vivid memories of some of the scenes from those movies, watching them from the backseat of our car and hiding during some of the scarier moments. But yeah, yes, yes. I definitely have some great moments, um, especially in high school. Once I got my own car, I, I went to drive-ins a lot in Connecticut. Uh, for those who don't know, I was born and raised in Waterbury, Connecticut. And yeah, we had a few drive-ins around us back in the late 70s early 80s so yeah definitely a lot of great memories uh some pure and some a little bit more debaucherous but i think that goes for most people jerry did you touch (laughs) your first booby at a (laughs) drive-in it might have been my second your second your second and by the way hospital (laughs) hospital also known as visiting hours right I, oh, was it? Okay, I only um, remember yeah. it as Horror Hospital. Yep. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the same movie. So if uh, you listeners are wondering what uh, movie that is, Visiting Hours, 1982. All right, Van, what about you, man? Uh, well, I definitely feel like I'm at a disadvantage here. Um, oh, you no. know, I live and I grew up not too far from where Jerry did, but it was at a later time period. Not too much later, but later. Um, and by that point, there were really no drive-ins left around the area. Um, there are now three drive-ins uh, that I could get to, but all of them are at least an hour drive for me. Um, right. And my wife and I have been talking a long time about, you know, we should try and go to see one of these things, bring the kids. But, you know, as I'll kind of talk about later, you know, if you're bringing kids to this, you're talking about in the summer, you know, the movie starts at nine. Right. <laughs> you know, it's not um, easy. Yeah. If, if you got kids that have our time sleeping in a car, that's pretty tough, you know, if they get tired. Um, right. So it is something that we really want to do one day. I've wanted to do it for years. Um, we just haven't, you know, the kids aren't quite at that age yet that, that we feel like we can really take advantage of it and still have a good time. Well, you got memories coming, man. There's, that's something to look forward to. Oh yeah. One day, one day. Okay guys. And we will be right back after this quick break. Once a normal, voluptuously beautiful woman, she drove into a nightmare of horror and saw descending from the sky a titanic monster whose fearsome touch became a frightful curse. You think I'm drunk, don't you? All of you! I'm not drunk! I'm not! You've got to believe me! It was right in the middle of the highway, 30 feet tall! Once she's in the booby hatch... Throw the key away. That'll put you in the driver's seat. You'd make a wild driver, Harry. With 50 million bucks. What she saw was beyond belief until others, too, faced its hideous, uncontrollable menace. Attack of the 50-foot woman, incredibly huge, with incredible desires for love and vengeance. All right, we're back, and wanted to uh, give our resident brain, Revenant Vin, an opportunity. Uh, he got a lot of um, kind compliments when we did the Monster Palooza series with his essays on uh, the different monsters, which, again, got to say, Vin, really good stuff. 
So I was hoping that he would give us a little history of the drive-in theater uh, in America and its rise and fall and, and all in between. I don't think he's going to go too long, but uh, just to give us an idea uh, of, of, of what the drive-in theater meant to American popular culture. So, Revenant Vin, take it away. All right. Well, first of all, thank you. Uh, but I have to say that when you start to be known as the resident brain, uh, it's only a matter of time before you say something incredibly stupid (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, completely will be opened up for ridicule. So I, I'm, I'm not adopting that, that moniker of the resident brain. He pushes that away. How about, how about for just this drive in uh, series, you're the, you're the man, the host with two brains. That yeah, sounds, right. that we'll sounds do that. like a 50s sci-fi uh, drive That fits. Yes. All right. A little, little less pressure on the shoulders. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> yeah. the host with two brains. Yeah. All right. So the first drive-in theater opened in 1933 in Camden, New Jersey. And it was the brainchild of Richard Hollingshead, who was an auto parts salesman. Uh, people paid 25 cents per car as well as per person to see the British comedy Wives Beware Under the Stars. Kim, uh, Jim Cop of the United Drive-In Theater Owners Association said in an interview with Smithsonian that Hollings had originally devised the idea to solve a unique problem. Quote, his mother was, how shall I say it, rather large for indoor theater seats. So we stuck her in a car and put a 1928 projector on the hood of the car and tied two sheets to trees in his yard, end quote. Drive-ins began to really take off in the 1940s when they added car speakers. By 1949, there were a few hundred drive-ins around the country, but by the end of the 1950s, there were over 4,000, as Mark had said. Uh, and this time period really saw the golden years of the drive-in, really kind of late 50s, early 60s. Uh, the 50s in particular was also a decade that fully embraced the car. Um, and this was largely a result of nuclear fears. Uh, post-war policies fostered housing in the suburbs. Housing starts, pretty much uh, you know, the way that they, they consider when you start building a house, all right. This went from 114,000 housing starts in 1944 to 1,692,000 in 1950. In 1951, the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists devoted an issue to, quote, defense through decentralization, end quote, advocating that people spread out into suburbs to avoid concentration in urban areas, which would be ripe for nuclear attack. Due to these sorts of pressures, 1956, Congress passed the Federal Aid Highway Act, creating the interstate highway system. When Dwight D. Eisenhower signed the bill, he stated that one of the major reasons was, quote, in case of a nuclear attack on our key cities, the road net must permit quick evacuation of target areas, end quote. So if you were to read On the Road by Jack Kerouac, which was, pub- Kerouac, which was published in 1957, uh, but was about his road trips in the 1940s, you pretty quickly realize that he's talking about roadways, which even by then, at that point, uh, had pretty much fallen out of wide use. And all of this resulted in more Americans living in suburbs, depending on cars, and having wide open spaces with which to set up drive-in theaters. And drive-ins had conveniences. You could bring the whole family, including the kids. Teens could get frisky, and they were called passion pits for this reason. Many drive-ins added attractions like train rides, petting zoos, and all other kinds of things uh, to further entice families away from their home television sets. This is important because the number of homes with TVs increased from 0.4% in 1948 to 55.7% in 1954 to 83.2% four years later. James L. Bauman, who was a, a media theorist, uh, he wrote that no other techno- no, no other household technology 
Not the telephone or indoor plumbing had ever spread so rapidly into so many homes. And TV had absorbed evenings that had once been spent reading, listening to the radio, or going to the movies. By the mid-1950s, wrote Leo Bogart, the TV's first historian, quote, television had established its place as the most important single form of entertainment and of passing the time, end quote. So drive-in theaters added all those other things I talked about before, like train rides, petting zoos, and everything like that, to bring people away from their television sets. And that was the advantage of them. However, there were disadvantages of these drive-in theaters. And the one, one of them, one of the main ones was the one that I had just mentioned just a little while ago was that movies could only be shown at night. So for this reason, studios reserved their A pictures for the indoor theaters, which could show the film five or six times in a day. And they sent their B pictures, often as double features, to the drive-ins, which wouldn't bring in nearly as much revenue. And this kind of led to, by the 1970s, there being pretty much exploitation flicks uh, becoming the drive-in norm. And some of them even showed pornography in the late hours. And obviously, the privacy of one's own car was a prime selling point with that. However, all of this also really kind of signaled the rapid decline of drive-ins. All right, Once you hit the 1980s, which came even quicker with the coming of VCRs and other home entertainment, where people could indulge in those curiosities and the privacy, not of their own car, but of their own home now. Uh, so by the 1980s, especially late 80s, when I was kind of growing up, uh, you really didn't see many drive-in theaters at all. And now we see them coming back, but more as a, as a throwback kitsch market. <laughs> Hell yeah. Thank you, Van. Yeah, dude. Amazing. Once again, revenue Very cool. Yeah. Yes. I think that, I think that it's a shame though. I mean, the fact that the downfall is because you can't show movies during the day. I mean, good movies. How how many, how many times do you really go see a movie during the day? I mean, I know I do, but for for the most part, I don't know. Whatever. Bring Um, them back. It's so upsetting. Bring them back. Yeah. The end. More driving. The end of Vin's story there, there's a, there's a light at the end of the tunnel because they are coming back. Um, and I, I love that. I, uh, everything's about nostalgia lately. So they actually want to build on like a mile away from my house. I, w- I would throw them money to do that. I would walk to it uh, to see it because now you, we don't get the B movies sent to them. We get all these big movies. All the big movies come to drive in. So what's not to like about that? Um, so I, I don't want it to go anywhere. I know it almost died out completely. I'm glad it never did. I mean, I guess I'm lucky, like I said. So let's take a quick break and let's get into our reviews. All right, let me open up my panel here. We're going to do them. (coughs) Okay, and we're back. And we're going to get into our first review here. And that is them with a big exclamation point. And that is from 1954. It has a runtime of one hour, 34 minutes. Considered a horror slash sci-fi. It was released on June 19th, 1954 in the USA. It holds a 7.3 out of 10 star rating with about 16,000 reviews there. The director is Gordon Douglas. The writers are Ted Sheridan, Russell Hughes, and uh, that's about it. Let's get into the cast here. We got James Whitmore as Police Sergeant Ben Peterson. We got Edmund Gwen as Dr. Harold Medford. We got the beautiful Joan Weldon as Dr. Patricia Medford. We got James Arness as Robert Graham. 
Onslow Stevens as Brigade General Robert O'Brien, Sean McClory as Major Kibbe, Chris Dake, Trooper Ed Blackburn, got Sandy Deschner as the Ellenson girl. Oh, guy, there's a lot. There's a lot in this, so we'll leave it at that for right now. And who is going to handle the synopsis? I'll do it. I'll do it. Handle it, Mark. All right. Um, set in New Mexico, there are some atomic tests that have occurred, uh, I guess, probably back in the World War II um, era. And they, the radiation from those tests caused common uh, ants to mutate into giant man-eating monsters that threaten civilization. Basically, these giant ants, if they're not uh, you know, rounded up and destroyed, they're going to take over the world. So that's basically it. Yeah, that is it. You nailed it, buddy. This is this is definitely uh, one of those movies that um, really played to the fears of people about you know atomic bombs and nuclear testing and and all of that and all the radiation and uh, yeah, man, this this uh, this is uh, this is a classic movie, and I cannot believe. This was a first-time watch for you, Walshy. And boy, am I glad it was. There's always movies out there that's a first-time watch that surprise you like no, like nothing. So I can't wait to talk about it, guys. Uh, what do you say we play the trailer? I say we do. Let's do it. I tell you, gentlemen, science has agreed that unless something is done and done quickly... Man, as the dominant species of life on Earth, would be extinct within a year. By direction of the President of the United States, stay in your homes, I repeat. Stay in your homes. Your personal safety, the safety of the entire city, depends upon your full cooperation with the military authorities. Yes, cities, nations, even civilization itself, threatened with annihilation. Because in one moment of history-making violence, nature, mad, rampant, wrought its most awesome creation. For born in that swirling inferno of radioactive dust were things so horrible, so terrifying, so hideous. There is no word to describe them. Okay, and we're back. Uh, let's get into some first impressions here. Just a quick overview, first time seeing it. <laughs> How about I hop in? This was literally my first time ever seeing them. I knew about it. I knew what it was about. I've heard nothing but good things. Um, when Mark picked it, I I, 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 knew, I knew it was... A, you know how there's those movies that you never saw, but you know they're good? Just because of its fandom and history. This is one of them. It blew me away. This is the Aliens, to me, from James Cameron. The, this was the precursor to that. I sincerely think James Cameron remade this movie in a way. With aliens, there's so many different things uh, that James Cameron did, and that that can't be a bad thing. Uh, the effects, the score, the way it was shot, the design, the acting, cinematography. I mean, but, but basically the effects, the destruction, man. Wow. Thank you, Mark, for picking this movie. I'm going to leave it at that for my first impressions. Um, so let's get Jerry in. Jerry, what are your first impressions? 
Well, this was um, this wasn't a first time watch for me, but it basically might as well have been. I haven't seen it in over twenty years. I only remember, I really only remember the Ellenson girl yelling out the titular line, and then maybe one shot of the ants from previous views over twenty years ago. But yeah, watched it again today. Absolutely love this film. I, I echo everything that while she said, I can't agree with you more. I mean, just right away from the very first shot of the movie, you see what uh, the, the, the amazing film quality. I mean, sometimes when you see some of these fifties monster movies, the film is grainy. The audio is muddy. It just, you know, it sounds terrible, but this, I mean, th- this is just amazing to me. Um, uh, absolutely love the creature effects. I mean, for 1954, I mean, considering that this this is kind of a large studio. I mean, this is Warner Brothers, so I, I believe it's a large. Uh, they had a probably a pretty good budget, and it kind of reflects that in the creature effects. I mean, they obviously weren't made like out of paper mache, like a lot of other fifties uh, creature features, like the black scorpion or the deadly mantis attack of the leeches. God forbid I uh, bring that awful thing up, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, sometimes sometimes those fifties creatures effects could look awful and. You know, obviously, in retrospect, you know, the ants look a little, you know, um, almost like large dolls. But ultimately, for for the presentation that it gave us, I thought it was amazing. Um, like I said, I can't say enough good things about this movie. And I sure I'm sure I'll have a lot more to say coming up. Yeah, so true, dude. I echo all that. Then how about you? What are your first impressions of them? Uh, well, similar experience to, with uh, to Jerry. Um, I, saw, I first saw this film quite a few years ago. It's probably 15, 20 years ago. And it hasn't been at least 20 years ago. Because at that point, I really didn't know what to expect from a 1950s movie. Um, so I feel like I, I probably judged it far harsher than I would today. Um, and other than the final confrontation, which took place in the drainage tunnels, I really didn't have much memory of the film at all, going back to it a second time. Um, however, uh, in my household, uh, over this season, I've been constantly battling ants in my home. Um, and (laughs) even this morning I woke up and saw some crawling on my, my kitchen counter and I had to tear apart everything that was underneath the kitchen to figure out where they're coming from. Um, so these things have been the bane of my existence for a long time. So seeing these little bastards getting destroyed, you know, on the big screen, uh, was (laughs) a certain thrill for me. Little bastards? Yeah. Well, they're little in my house, but seeing them get blown up... (laughs) <laughs> I'm really, brothers. I kept really hoping an atomic no. bomb don't go I off. I kept wanting to sing, yeah. sing that song. You remember that song? The, the ants go marching to, but but I definitely had much a, a great time with it uh, this time around. Awesome. All right, Mark Nato. All right. Um, um, like Jerry, this is a movie that I had seen probably sometime in the eighties or nineties. And I remember liking it well enough, but because of the drive-in, um, I, I thought that let's revisit it because I think it's pretty uh, synonymous with like horror sci-fi drive-in fare. So I definitely wanted to, to do this. And, and let me tell you, man, uh, just like Jerry and just like um, Walsh, it, it blew me away. I was really uh, pulled in by this movie. This is not just a a, a cheaply made B movie, uh, uh, even though it gets lumped in with B movies. Yeah, it's not th- fair. This is not a B movie. This this is a movie that, um, to me, is 
really well acted. Uh, the the I, I was I didn't remember the people who were in this movie uh, until I started watching it. And and the first thing that that gets me is it's it's um James Whitmore, who's you know in one of my favorite movies of all time, Shawshank Redemption. But he he was uh, he was in all kinds of things back in, in the fifties and so, I mean he was a, a huge working actor. He only died in nineteen uh, in two thousand nine uh, of about I guess he was eighty seven years old. But this is a guy that was in uh, Shawshank Redemption, Planet of the Apes. Uh, he was in a ton of stuff. Good actor. And then here comes uh, Edmund Gwynn. And if you don't know who Edmund Gwynn is, then you've never seen the original Miracle on 34th Street. <laughs> uh, but Edmund Gwynn is such a good actor, and it's got such a distinct look and such a distinct voice. Uh, I really believed him as as the scientist, as Dr. Harold I, Yeah, I, I really loved did. his character. Uh, and, and then you get James Arness. And James Arness, I mean, come on, you have to know James Arness from uh, The Thing from Another World and yep, from sure. all the gun smoke. Um, Matt Dillon, uh, come on. So, and, and then I was kind of blown away at how uh, beautiful Joan Weldon was as Dr. Patricia Medford. Uh, and I, and I like the fact that this is uh, a movie that puts a woman in kind of like a, a role where she's not just the helpless heroine. She's, they mention it many times. She's a doctor too. That's one of my likes. You yep. know, she, she's going to go down into the nest as well because she's a doctor too. You know, um, it's a good scene when she stands up to Bob. Yeah. You know, and demands to go down there and her father supports her as a fellow scientist. Yes. Yeah. yeah it was good. Yeah. And then, and then, I mean, come on guys. Davy Crockett is in this movie. <laughs> I mean, if you grew up in the seventies and eighties, and you watched the Disney movies, but, but Davy Crockett, you know who Fess Parker is, and he just has a small role, uh, you know, the, the pilot who who gets put in the nut house, <laughs> and 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 <laughs> unfortunately has to stay there uh, <laughs> uh, even after they they know he's telling the truth. But uh, yeah, so I I just enjoyed this movie. Looking back, you know, nineteen fifty four, I wasn't expecting to see so many actors that I knew. And while you're at it, let's just add Leonard Nimoy to that list, because he yeah, has one yeah. of his early cameos. Now, yep, I, I could not pick him out. Did anybody pick him out? Yeah, he was uh, in Washington, D.C. He was like a, a soldier. He's one of the... He gets like a memo or something like that, and he's reading it, and he's talking with a, a woman about it. All right. It, sa- it says on yeah. here the, around the 57-minute mark. I'm going to have to get yeah. back and look. It's only one um, scene. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm going to have to check that out. But I don't, I don't think he's credited. Right, he's not. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. He's not. He's not officially credited, so a lot of people don't even realize that this this might have been his first movie appearance. Yeah, early, early. I'm not sure, but yeah, very good. So, yeah, and there's a oh. there. Let me see. There's. I'm looking right now. There is at least forty or fifty, um, uncredited actors. Uh, and all good. Yeah, all good, <laughs> and all like really good. Um. Like character Even the little actors. girl, little girl was good. The little girl was awesome. Um, I guess we're we're kind of jumping right into our likes. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, uh, Dub Taylor. I don't know if you know who he is. He's the the rail the rail. Excuse me, 
He was the railroad yard watchman. I don't know. Um, you know, they brought him in after the the, the railway car was broken into for the sugar. Mm-hmm. And come on, guy was in Back to the Future Three, Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, he's a, he was a very uh, well known actor. And then um, there's a movie. Uh, there's a there's a um, a link between this movie and the movie we'll be doing after the intermission. In mm-hmm. an actor. You know who that is? Alan Howland. Yes. Yes. I mean he's the he's the guy from the blob and then he's also the old guy from the blob and he's also the uh the crazy guy. I guess he has was, one of the best lines in the movie. <laughs> yeah, something about this general I'll make a deal with you. You make me a sergeant in charge of the booze and I'll enlist. Yes, <laughs> yes. So but just it was a joy, man. It was a joy to uh to watch this movie and see the, the level of acting that was going on. Um, I've got to say that the um, the story kept me riveted because I didn't remember exactly how things turned out. And it kind of is almost like a police procedural kind of the very, you know, the first 45 to 50 minutes uh, and, and then kind of gets into, you know, crazy or sci-fi big bug because you don't see the first giant ant until about 45 minutes in right yeah it, it takes yeah. a little while but but it, it hooks you in yeah. the beginning i mean yeah, it's, it, that's, that's not that, a bad thing no that no. opening half hour is so solidly paced yeah you know it's it, i i love i i mean i was i was entranced that first like 20 minutes or half hour or so you know the, the girl walking through the desert and you see the search plane flying around the background yeah it's great you know this kind of unraveling murder murder mystery at the trailer and then at the store that's yeah, it. the story you got the, the sandstorm blowing around and the atmosphere that it creates. It's it, that that opening twenty minutes or so is just really fabulous. It's amazing. Yeah, you see the destruction from whatever's going on, uh, mm. and then they really don't shy away from that in this movie. Uh, they I, put the effects on screen. I, I'm telling you this right now. It, if you went into this movie in 1954 and you hadn't seen a trailer and you hadn't seen the the poster that had a big giant ant on it, you know, it would really hook you like as to what the heck is going on. Yeah. What is this? Yes. What, what is, what is busting through the side of this trailer and what is, you know, yep. uh, so it, it really, and even though I knew on it, there's giant ants, uh, it was, it was still uh pretty, pretty mesmerizing. And I think that is partly due to good screenwriting and good acting. Jerry, what about you, man? What are some things you like about this movie? Well, I already mentioned just the amazing film quality and audio quality on the film for a 1954 film. Obviously, I understand that it's been cleaned up over the years and, you know, the the version that we watched on Amazon video is, you know, very cleaned up. But I still, I mean, I I just watched Attack of the Leeches a couple of weeks ago and that thing looks like a film, uh, a film school project compared to them. Um, aside from that, great soundtrack. I absolutely love that s- shrill screech at the beginning of the movie, which we kind of, we've gotten yes. used to over the years with the movies like Insidious and Cabin in the Woods kind of doing that now. But when it, yeah, w- that really struck me the first time I heard it, um, today watching the film. And also, how great was it to see the title of the film in full color splash that's up exact, on the screen? That, dude, it's yeah. my first like. Yeah. It's the first thing I, I wrote down. Well, this movie was originally intended to be filmed in color, 
Mm-hmm. And it was originally and intended to be filmed in 3D. Yeah. Yep. And at the last minute, they changed their minds. And I, and I guarantee that that was kind of left over from that. And uh, it really pops, doesn't it? <laughs> I it's was awesome. like, wow. That was, mm, awesome. like, I'd love to have that logo on a T-shirt. I mean, that, yeah, I'm it's sure amazing. it's out there somewhere. But Yeah. 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 Uh, let's yeah. see. Um, I also uh, I thought the first encounter with the ant was great. Uh, I thought it was a little lucky of them to have a, an ant expert with them to be able to tell them, go ahead and shoot <laughs> him in the antenna. But, you know, suspension of disbelief. I'll allow it ultimately. And but I did like that whole encounter. I thought that set piece w- was really great. Uh, you know, they worked with what they could at the time. And I, I just thought they did an amazing job. Um, I also I, I also wanted to point out, and the only reason I'm pointing this out is because anyone who knows me knows I'm not a very religious person. I'm not into the Bible in, for in any way, shape, or form. But I thought the use of Doctor Medford's Bible quote here was quite uh, chilling, even uh, though they made it up, which is kind of funny. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I, so, yeah, yeah, I thought that not real. It was really good. That was great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then the last thing I want to say for now is just that classic sound effect of the ants. I mean, from the very first time you hear them, you know, you know, that there's just something wrong. Something is not right here. And I just, you know, especially with some of the fifties creature features with the sound effects that they gave some of the, uh, some of the monsters to the point where they actually in teenagers from outer space, they actually had a giant lobster screaming like a woman. Uh, that just, you know, that was awful. But to to counterpoint that, <laughs> to be able to counterpoint that with the sound effects that the ants uh, create in this movie were just amazing. I genuinely liked it. Yeah, I think they used that in some several other movies, like you said, uh, and it was uh, created from uh, tree frogs. Mm-hmm. That's tree frogs, and uh, thought that that I mean it it was pretty piercing. Yeah, dude, it it's good, man. It, uh, first time I heard, it, I was like, yeah, that that's pretty good. And the way they use it throughout the film, too. I mean, just the sound design in general uh, throughout this whole film is top notch, like technically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, once you hear that sound coming, you know, you you know what's going on, and it, it builds tension. I would have like, I would have loved to have seen this back in the day originally. Um, but but that goes to the sound design, like I said, swirling winds throughout it. Uh, in the desert, man, it's it's amazing. It's captured so well, and it adds so much feel to the movie. I don't when I watch a movie like this, I don't look at it in 2017 eyes. I always put my mind in the 1950 style, even though I didn't live through it. I shut my brain off to everything at what would be after that. And this movie is technically sound, man. I mean, every the direction, the set, the acting, the effects, the the score, the cinematography. It's all top notch, and and if you were gonna tell somebody, uh, this is a giant ant movie, someone's gonna crack a smile. But you show them it, they're gonna have something to say after it. I guarantee it. It's that good of a movie. Yeah, I mean, this guy, um, Gordon Douglas, who uh, directed this, I mean, he was the consummate professional. I mean, he he was uh, born in 1907, and he started um, doing pictures back in 19. Uh, 35 so he had been making movies for 20 years a while uh, yeah i mean he did stuff I mean, he did stuff that we didn't even know that he did like things with the uh the little rascals what is it the hour gang did you ever watch those That's when you were a awesome. kid awesome like, on yeah, saturday mornings that. yeah with alfalfa and stuff and that was that weren't those weren't movies those were tv series but um yeah so them of course he did uh um 
what else did he do? Uh, the Miracle. He did a bunch of Frank Sinatra movies. He did uh, Follow That Dream, which is an Elvis movie. Uh, Stagecoach. He did. He did a lot of stuff, and um, you could tell that he was a a professional who knew what he was doing. This wasn't just some hack that they got to make a giant bug movie. I mean, he he. I think right. I think if we went back and and really talked, I, I think he treated this pretty seriously. Well, because it really comes out that way because there a lot of these movies. Um, you know, this is one of the first. It might even be the first big like mutant bug spider creepy movies you know is this really the first one i think it is yeah, it is yeah uh, the but year the, the uh the year before this movie came out uh, a film called beast from Twenty Thousand fathoms came out and that one is credited as being one of the first uh 50s creature features now what is that about yeah. i don't remember what well, that is. is that like a, is that a bug that's a prehistoric that... monster that was released by a nuclear bomb explosion Yep. Um, but this is the first one where it's actually creatures created by nuclear radiation. radiation. Yeah. So, I mean, wasn't there, there was a tarantula? Uh, yeah, this started off the big bug crate. Big bug yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. A, uh, Deadly Mantis, Beginning of the End, The Giant Claw, Attack of the Crab Monsters. It goes I mean, on and on. On and on. And, uh, and the thing is, back in 1954, people thought this was a goofy idea. But in spite of that, they actually like found this film like really chilling. Right. You know, they because it, it is just so well done. It's played straight. You know, it's, it, it is, and really serious. the the ants, yeah, they're, they're big puppets. You know, um, mm-hmm. and they're not exactly convincing, but they're also not so bad that they become distracting. I think you know, great. I wasn't I wasn't personally cracking up while I was watching it. You know, yeah, I, I didn't I didn't for once think that they were real ants, but at the same time, I was still entirely invested in the story as it was going. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, man. Uh, it's it's not a guy in a suit. Um, yeah. even though it's puppet. Uh, and, and like we keep saying, it's 1954. Look at it with 1954 eyes, man. Yeah. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. And it was, and it was uh, well respected, and actually got Os- uh, Oscar nominated. I for, see that. That's best, crazy. Best special effects. It, it didn't win, but um, the, the fact that that, uh, that a giant ant movie was Oscar nominated <laughs> is is a win, right? I mean, it's a win. And yeah. Um, yeah there were only three ants ever shown at once in a, in a sequence. Cause that's all the ones they created. They only, they only made three ants for the movie. Um, and I think the, the end shot, right. That's, that's really when you see yeah. your three right. there. Right. So that's finale. all of them. But I mean, there's burn scenes. Um, Amazing. The burn ants scenes. That are great. There are, uh, which by the way, they, those were real flamethrowers. You can tell <laughs> they were using, and they were on loan from the army, and no the way. guys that were um, handling them were actual combat veterans. Those weren't actors. Those that's were, cool. Yeah. So again, they were taking this thing seriously, and I think it really came through. I didn't even get like a tongue-in-cheek feel. No, uh, there's from not, this that's movie. Not there. I just didn't get it. I mean, some people might. Um, I, I, I can imagine. No, because- Go ahead. Go Sorry. Ahead. No, no, I was going to say the the ant situation is played straight, but the script still allows for humorous character moments. You know, oh, which yeah, yeah. I think is great. I, I love the scene where the police sergeant, you know, Peterson, is trying to teach uh, Doctor Medford how to properly use the the military rip radio. You know, <laughs> over yes, over yeah. and out, and he keeps that getting frustrated with them. You know, that yeah, those are great little character good. moments. Really good. Yeah. Yeah, and it's needed throughout. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But uh. uh 
Yeah, I just I mean, can't say enough good stuff about this movie, man. It really, especially there's about halfway through, we get a long exposition scene where you know Edmund Gwynn is pretty much talking about ants. You know, he's he's giving a lesson to the to the government, um, but it, it, it's it's still not boring. No, it was actually you know, fascinating. I think, uh, I think Gwen's uh, David Attenborough like voice helps, you know, <laughs> and we yeah. see his excellent close-ups of ant footage, you know, and it actually makes the information really fascinating. So, I mean, at, that's a point where this movie could have craw- grown, you know, ground down to a halt practically, uh, but it doesn't. It, it's it actually it kept it interesting. It kept my attention the whole time, which is yeah. pretty impressive. But it, mm-hmm. but it but it's like it kind of gave you the the feeling they were trying to explain. Well, I was just going to say that. Why are giant ants a really big problem? This yep. is not, you know, there's giant ants and we can, you know, if you come across a giant ant, that's not a good thing. No. The problem is they reproduce so fast and they're so big and they can spread so quickly that we're done. Well, you know? The we're way done. I, that's, that's what I love about uh, Edmund Gwynn, his acting alone, but as Dr. Harold uh, Medford in it, I, I love that he's not just a, like a fantastic actor throughout the movie, but he's a teacher to us audience. And mm-hmm. once you learn that this little teeny tiny thing you don't even give a thought at, but if you actually study them, how brilliant ants really are with their colonies and how they all have their own job. And if you blew it up to a monster size, that's a problem. Yeah. Uh, that could be a serious threat. Uh, and, and that's what the doctor, like it could get in any movie that would get like silly. But the way he he handles his lines, man, and, and he's teaching us through the screen is amazing. It's fantastic, and it makes sense if you blew an ant up, and these things were gonna get out uh, more, more and more and more. That's a problem. So it, it's it's awesome. Now I, I like um, I like the when they go down into the actual ant tunnels. That seems you know, incredible. And one, and one is trapped in there. You know, uh, it, it's just. Uh, it's it's so cool, and I really. That's the aliens moment that Walshy was talking about. Yeah, before. that's yeah. exactly yeah. what it is. I mean, I really it's ripped like right from it. This this movie, I, I, I say this quite often, I guess, but I think it would do well with a with a remake. I, I really this, do. This could this could do well with a remake. I I know what you mean, Mark. I I would love to see it. I mean, but they would have to take it. You know, we don't want to go like Sharknado route or uh, exactly. I'd like them know, to play it straight. Lava, yeah. la- the lava way, Lantula dude. or something like that. No, I don't think they could resist lava making a joke. Yeah, yeah they they genuinely couldn't. I mean, that scene where the helicopter's flying above the ant hill. I literally thought to myself, if this was a 2017 movie, a giant ant would jump out of the hole onto the helicopter and yep, bring it, it down. down. Yeah. And that would just yeah. it would take me completely out of the movie. Yep. Yeah. Uh, if they played it straight, it, it could be fantastic. Yeah. Because there's a lot here. I mean, think about it. That is a that is a freaking scary thought. But I mean, if an it ant, is a twelve foot ant got you in their pinchers. I mean that I, I I know they couldn't do it, but at the end, I really like. By the way, spoiler alert. Uh, yeah, this, great. This scene. is this is 1954. If you haven't seen it, go see it. But um, at the end. I didn't remember that the the officer kind of gave his life, yeah, to save those kids, mm-hmm. uh, and and they really could have shown him getting pinched in half, mm-hmm. but they they couldn't show that, so they you know he basically got crushed, right? Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, but uh, 
but he's still was, up that, in the in the mouth and everything. Yeah, you know, but that you was see a it. good that was a good set piece there where they used the the missing kids. Yes, as as a, yeah. uh, a vehicle as to why they couldn't just you know completely you know blow up you know or send that's right. fire or poisonous gas and, you know those kids were that's in right. there and they wanted to to save them and that was an intelligent way and I actually you know the there's a couple things I'll say when I when I talk about um, dislikes, but um, where they could have gone a little bit better with that. But I thought it was, you know, it wasn't just like a cheap um, reason they used. Well, there was well. a real reason, right? Yeah, yeah. There was an explanation for it. Well, I, I, I mean, thought that was a great it's scene. It's also a really good script because they had established uh, uh, his his of his in. You know, with the little girl. Uh, I think there's another point where he tried to save right. a child, wasn't there? Yeah. 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 But I mean, you know, so we, we've seen that instinct in him to actually try and like to really go go forth and, and protect children. And it was actually a really a really good way to kind of send him out. You know, I, I thought it was yeah, a no, it good is, move man. on the script. It Although is. I didn't understand why he was a cop and ended up being I know, that's in my clothes. dislikes. Uh, did he just like he become an army guy? I mean, I don't know. But he graduated. Whatever. Whatever. Yeah. He just like all of a sudden is working for government for some reason. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually enjoy the military involvement throughout the film too. Um, oh yeah. Just I mean, as, think as, about it. That's real. That's real. Yep. I like how they ants. actually brought it in. Did There's he keep giant it ants. The daggone army's coming in. You know it's right. coming in. A lot of movies just keep it between the town. Yeah. Um, or, or at the you know at the far end, but the military is involved throughout this. And that another thing when that really surprised me was some of the action throughout it. There's some action in this. There's some great action shots. There's airplane shots. Um, you get all different angles. It, it's just such a fantastic movie. This is definitely going to be in my rotation every year. Yeah, I have not yet. Uh, and the script uh, also has it? this bouncing across the country, which is kind of cool. Yes, you're right. That's right. Then. Yeah, we go from New Mexico. Uh, which, by the way, it was shot Sorry, in California. My connection's yeah. a little bit wonky. <laughs> no, that's no problem. That's no problem. Uh, so we go from New Mexico to uh, California. We go to D.C. Uh, and and yeah. I really like the the ending scenes. Uh, you can definitely tell that was on location in, in Los Angeles. Those are those same type of, um, you know, I've never been to Los Angeles, but I've seen Grease. You know I've the seen, vibe. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, those, um, I don't even know what they are. They're underpasses. Yep. You know? Uh, yep. Jerry, you're you're out there. I mean, I'm uh, sure many you're... many a movie have been shot in those those areas. Absolutely, yeah. Out here, we just call it the L.A. River. The L.A. River. There it whether is. there's water, yeah, whether there's water in it or not, it's the L.A. Nice. River. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, you L.A. guys. Yeah. And I and I love the you know when they finally have to to announce it to the to the public, you know that. Yeah, that's amazing. And. and it is imperative that you do not panic. You stay in your homes. Or, and people are just, uh, you know, they don't know what to do. I mean, what would you do? I mean, come on. Well, when someone says don't panic, well, the first thing you do is panic. Absolutely. Yep. You know, that's that's got to happen. Uh, I'm going to end my likes off with Joan Weldon. Thank you for being on screen. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful, man. Those women from that era, man, something about it, just absolutely stunning. Simply stunning. Yeah, she was. She was, uh, as they used to say, easy on the eyes. That's right, Mark. Oh, yeah. Easy on the eyes. What else? What else is she known for? I mean, uh, just some westerns, really. Right. I yeah. mean, 
she hasn't done a um a movie since 1958 and by the way she's still living she's still living she was oh, born wow. in 1933 and she is still living but um if you look at her imdb photo well she's really really attractive there yeah um but yeah mostly tv gun slinger stuff you know and and a few um uh cowboy movies but yeah she didn't do too much up guarantee you she got married and had kids and just retired probably so yeah i would bet on that yep 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 all right um, uh jerry any more likes buddy uh just a couple more things i wanted to bring up uh i, I did want to bring up the script i thought that this script was extremely well written considering it's essentially a b movie i mean when they were writing this script they had to understand that they're writing a movie about giant ants and the yeah. temptation's going to be there to make it campy, uh, you know, to throw in a couple of humorous lines that really don't fit the situation. But ultimately, this was a tight, solid script, I thought. And you know, it's already been brought up a couple of times. But, yeah, I mean, even some of the slower scenes that are just dialogue driven were still compelling. I was still engaged throughout the entire movie. I never found myself bored, despite this movie being over, almost an hour and 40 minutes, which is fairly long for one yeah, of these creature features. Yeah, that's good features. to mention. Yeah, yeah. Usually, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at 90, under 90 minutes for these movies, and yeah. for, for this thing to be near 100 was pretty long, but at no point do you get bored, or yeah. are you? do you get disengaged or anything like that. I mean, you're enthralled pretty much throughout. And then the, the last thing I wanted to bring up as a like is... I wanted to thank the filmmakers for not trying to interject a pointless love story into my monster movie, which almost yeah. every monster movie of the time did. I mean, I can't name another monster movie that didn't try to interject some love story that brings nothing to the to the plot or to the character development or anything. And even though the temptation was there, I mean, ultimately, you know, the younger Dr. Medford did kind of seem like she had eyes for the FBI guy. They didn't force it on us. And I appreciated that. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. Yeah. Good stuff. I, I did want to say real quick, you know, as we we've we've all said that we thought the script was tight and real really well done, and I wanted to give a shout out to the three guys that uh, that wrote the script, but George uh, Worthington, no, George Worthing Yates is the guy that came up with the idea. Uh, he didn't really write the script, but he came up with the idea, and th this is. This is this guy's resume. He came up with them. Uh, he came up with It Came From Beneath the Sea, Earth nice. versus the Flying Saucers, The Amazing <laughs> Colossal Man. Here's one that I've never seen that I need to see. I don't, I don't even know what it's about. Attack of the Puppet People. I've oh, got to see you, that. You never Nin saw that. <laughs> 1958. I have no clue. War it's a Walshie the, movie. War of the Colossal Beasts. <laughs> The Spider, Frankenstein, nineteen seventy. I mean, so those are some crazy stuff. And then Russell S. Hughes came in um, and and fleshed it out. And he was a lot of uh, TV writing. Um, and then uh, Ted um, Sherdeman also came in and did a lot of uh, you know the screenplay. So uh, three guys that really uh, you know. They they took it seriously and, and I thought they did a superb job. I just want, even though they're all no longer with us, wanted to give them a shout out. Yeah, props to that, man. Yeah. Well, I'm, you want Walsh? You want to move into dislikes? I mean, yeah, I'm dude, not, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm, I'm uh, gonna I'm gonna start. Can I? Start? Yeah, do it. Um, there's not a whole lot of dislikes for me in this. Me movie. neither. Um, I almost have none. 
Yeah, I, I would say I would love more ant action, but you have to realize the the limitations of a movie from 1954. Um, so you know we're not we're not talking about something that they can just CGI a, a cool ant in. No, you know you destroy something that's a lot of money. You have to uh, rebuild it and, and all that. So they only, like I said, they only built three. So I can give a pass for that. Uh, I would have liked for them to introduce the children and the children's father. Yeah, something. Um, before uh, they like were just shown in the sewer, I, I would have liked to have like cared about them at all. Yeah, you right. know what I'm saying. Like, uh, yep. I wish we could have seen the scene where the father and the kids were were throwing, you know, doing flying the plane, and how the father gets, you know, killed or whatever, and the kids run off. I, I would have liked to just seen that. That I mean, it's not a huge deal to me, but it would have, you know, it, it, all it had to have been is a three minute scene. Yeah, um, right. And I would have had a little bit because, frankly, I was thinking, I don't think those kids are probably dead. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but they they were in there. <laughs> And then um, uh, the last thing is the end. I-, I wish that the end was a little bit more of a punch. It was a little bit more of a um, morality morality tale. You know, yeah, it was too end, easy. Like, yeah, you know, just the, that that's the really the weakest part of the script. Is, is yeah, that, I, can, that I can last, agree with that. You know, man. it was kind of just like a little a little you know who knows what monsters we may create as we radiate. You know, I mean. Uh, so I think there's a better way to to say that and end it, but those are really the only um, three dislikes that I have. If you can even call them dislikes, right, right. But uh, and, the, and the the cop to the military. <laughs> oh yeah, the cop to the ah, whatever, whatever. He was yeah, called dude. upon. They needed him. You know. So Jerry, what about you? Any dislikes? Uh, I really only have a couple of minor ones. Um, the biggest one for me. Uh, actually is the same one that you mentioned about the the ending. I thought the ending was a little uneventful. I thought there could have been a little bit, just like you said, a little bit more punch to it. I, I understand they're slaves to their budget and, you know, what they can do effects-wise, but it still felt, you know, because ultimately the three, the final three queens were just standing there. They didn't try to defend themselves. They didn't, right, that's like, the- yeah, that was the, that was really the only thing that, you know, I, it, it seemed like they were just sitting ducks, and that kind of bothered me, especially because in the ant world, the queens are pretty badass, aren't they? Yeah, we should Yeah, we should have got a, a, you know, that's the build up to the yeah. finale, like the major fight, and we don't we don't get that. That's and my dislike, and, too. And they're the biggest, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, it's the queen, yeah, man. Yeah, and the biggest and the, the most, uh, you know. And they guard and, their and, home. And those, those, uh, I, I just feel like there was, like, like you said, more more action to have right there, and then it would have been nice to see the mom reunited with the with the kids, and kids, then maybe yeah. something happened to where, um, you know, where they set up like possibly a sequel. I guess they didn't do that that much back then, but like maybe a an aunt, you know, flying actually... away or getting getting away or or I don't know. They actually did have a line in the film where they were talking about how uh, these ants were um, a product of the original uh, nuclear bomb test in 1945. And then they were and then they asked the question, well, what about all the tests since then? Yeah. And that's what I thought they were going to set up a sequel with. 
Yeah, that's yeah. kind of a wink. And then and then the the phrase at the end, like we opened a door to a new world. And I'm like, okay, maybe they'll do a movie that maybe it's not even ants. It might be a different creature just in the same world, which would have been really cool too. Oh yeah. And then, I don't I don't know if they could have gotten the same actors, you know, to kind of I don't I guess they didn't have to be the same actors, but uh, you know they did they did move on to different insects and it was all radiation and all that, but I would I would like to have seen just like a stinger, like sort, right, right, right. Sorta, I know what you mean. Sort of like we got with the blob, not to the greatest of extents, but um, <laughs> right, just just right. something like maybe maybe like flying over New Mexico again and, and or the and, sound and, and, or, and, you know. yeah, you hear the sound or you see like a uh, something peek out of the ground an antenna or something to yeah, make, right. to make you think oh this is not over this not is, over you know, yeah yep I, I hear you man that's just you, me. Got, you yeah. guys nailed all my dislikes and they're not really <laughs> yeah. dislikes so uh, Vin. Yeah, good job on that Vin what do you got brother Vinny Barbarino um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just another thing about the the police sergeant uh, I'm not sure why he had a machine gun in his squad car too. Um, he's just, he has no rules, which is pretty amazing. That is um, standard issue, yeah. pal. Right. Standard Bad issue. Ass. And that was a high caliber weapon. Did you see the yeah, holes no kidding, it was man. leaving? It was amazing. And, and that, and that bad boy was loaded and ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was awesome. That was great. Um, okay. This is more of a, I bring it up to contrast it with the next film. Um, but there's okay. this real, there's this endorsement, it seems like, of real casual government overreach <laughs> in this. And this is kind of par for the course for the early 50s films. I get that. Um, but I think it's just worth bringing up. I mean, they, they keep an innocent man in a mental ward just to keep him quiet, quiet you know. Uh, they declare <laughs> martial good. law in the name of public safety, even though it probably wasn't really necessary. Um, so this is a script that really seems to display very little trust in the abilities or intelligence of average citizens. And yes. it really kind of appears to endorse this kind of excessive control over people by almost like a big brother like state, you know, and it's it, it's yeah, I, I think that the, the my own political leanings maybe make that uh, kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, yeah. So it's right, just one right. of those things where where I'm looking at this at this film and I'm like, wow, like they have zero trust whatsoever in your average citizen. You know, it is entirely like these symbols of authority, whether it's police, scientists. Uh, military, FBI, you know, all these people represent various adult authorities and the film really is comfortable with giving them complete and total control over everybody in the film. Um, and I, I, again, I bring this up to kind of contrast it with the next film, which really doesn't necessarily have that level of automatic trust, you know, in the adult authorities. Almost the opposite. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So a lot happens in four years in between this film and the blob. (laughs) Um, so I, I bring it up for that point. Um, and if you guys don't mind, I'd like to just go off on a little tangent. All right. Do it. Because you guys Uh-oh, have Vin brought tangent, up. Be ready. Uh, that's right. You guys have brought up a couple of times the final line of the film. You know, when Dr. Medford says, when man entered the atomic age, he opened a door into a new world. What we'll eventually find in that new world, nobody can predict. And I think that if we're going to be talking about the 1950s and we're going to understand why a big bug movie from 1954 was so effective. I think we really have to appreciate what we're talking about when we talk about that atomic age and what the real fear is because people are not afraid of giant bugs. That's not what people were afraid of in the 1950s. They were afraid of what we had unleashed with nuclear weapons. So uh, 
if you guys just bear with me for a second, because I think that even though this is a horror film podcast, I think that what I'm going to be saying next is probably the most frightening thing that's ever that will ever be said on this podcast. All right. Oh, this is deep. Let's go. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll just take it back real quick. Quick history. All right. 1939, Albert Einstein writes a letter to Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And in that letter, he pretty much says, listen, you really have to pay close attention, come into contact with scientists who are looking at chain reactions in uranium. All right. This has the potential to be weaponized. Um, this could create an enormous bomb. And the scenario he gives to the bomb is actually not even near what we end up getting. All right. And he has an extra impetus for this because one of the main exporters for uranium was Czechoslovakia and that had recently been taken over by the Nazis. And the Nazis were no longer allowing uranium out of that country, which was an indication that maybe they were working on a bomb themselves. So FDR, he, he takes this seriously and he begins the Manhattan Project, all right, the top secret project to begin development of the nuclear bomb. And bring us to 1945. Uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer is in control at Los Alamos in New Mexico in charge of actually putting this bomb together. So in 1945, we have what's called the Trinity test. All right, this is the first successful explosion of a nuclear bomb. And Oppenheimer famously said, later on he said this, but he said that one of the things that went through his mind when he saw that explosion was Hindu scripture, which said, now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. And that bomb, the Trinity test, was 20 kilotons worth of TNT. Okay, so 20 kilotons, 20,000 tons of TNT was the equivalent power of that bomb. Okay, enormous. A month later, all right, by this point, the Nazis had already been defeated, but the Empire of Japan had still not given up. So now President Truman gives the okay. A month later, they send over, you know, the Enola Gay flies over to Hiroshima and drops Little Boy, all right, which is a 15 kiloton bomb. All right, 15 kilotons, 15,000 tons worth of TNT on them. A couple days later, Fat Man is dropped on Nagasaki. That is just like Trinity, 20 kilotons. All right. So just for a little bit of perspective here. All right. Uh, right now. Okay. I'll get to that in a second. All right. If we, if we were to add up all of the TNT yield, all right, in World War II, including Hiroshima and Nagasaki, that would equal to about three megatons, three million tons of TNT. All right, if we added up everything of World War II. Right now, our largest U.S. missile that's you know, currently in our arsenal is the B-83. That's equal to 1.2 megatons, 1.2 million tons. It's 17 times more powerful than Little Boy. Now, at some point in the 1970s or so, the U.S. decided instead of making one big bomb, you know, big bomb, we're going to make a bunch of smaller bombs and send them over en masse. This is considered a smaller bomb. In 1954, the year that them came out was Castle Bravo. Okay, this was a hydrogen bomb explosion. I actually knew a gentleman who passed away just last year who was there on that day. All right, wow. he was in the navy, he was on the ships. This bomb ended up being way more powerful than they expected it to be. And the winds shifted and nuclear oh. fallout began raining down on the ships. And he remembers, I don't remember the exact time that he told me, but for around a week or so he had to stay below decks while they scrubbed the top, oh all right, to gosh. get the fallout off. Um, even though a lot of those sailors ended up contracting cancer. Um, and there was actually a, a Japanese ship that had gotten, fishing ship that had gotten rained on. And by the time they got back to harbor, they had radiation burns all over them. Um, and, okay, so Castle Bravo, the amount of that thing, that was 15 megatons. 15 million tons. That's five World War Twos in one second. 
five World War IIs in one explosion. All right? That's still nothing compared to what the Soviets exploded in 1961, something they call Tsar Bomba. All right? When the West, we call it that. This bomb was 50 megatons, 50 million tons of TNT. That's 16.5 World War IIs all in one second. And in theory, it could have been, it could have had a yield of 100 megatons. All right, this mushroom cloud was seven times the height of Mount Everest. Th- this thing is just absolutely massive. All right, and the thing is, the Cold War is over, but these bombs didn't go away. All right, so when we when we we're talking about a movie like Them, all right, you we can't you can't fight a nuclear bomb. All right, if Tsar Bomba exploded, there is absolutely no defense against it. All right, if it exploded in New York City, the five boroughs is gone. All right. Even where I am in Connecticut, an hour and a half away, I'd be feeling. Yeah, you'd be feeling it too. You know, I mean, this is just these are civilization killers. You know, and so science unleashed this this force that we have no defense against, and we don't understand what the true repercussions are because this is even beyond the explosion. You have the radiation afterwards. Yep. You know, between between Nagasaki and Hiroshima, there were. The conservative estimates are over 200,000 people died, and at least half of them were from injuries and radiation sickness afterwards. Um, so I think, you know, when, when people in the 1950s, all right, when they hear Dr. Medford say, when man entered the atomic age, he opened a door into a new world. What we'll eventually find in that new world, nobody can predict. All right. That's in the 1950s. That's terrifying. This is a time when kids are hiding under desks. You know, uh, in case of know, case man. of a nuclear explosion, maybe that piece of wood is going to help you. I don't know. Um, but, just thought. you know, th- this is something that, you know, we, we should honestly still be afraid of this. You know, know we, we no am, longer brother. have, you know, there, at this point, we have countries with these bombs and we consider yep. them rational players who don't want to be ex- who don't want to explode. And they always say you know, the old saying is don't be afraid of the country that wants a thousand of these things. Be afraid of the guy that only wants one. So this is something that a fear, we've lost this fear for the most part, all right, but we probably shouldn't have. But in the 1950s, they were very much aware of the potential. Did a, did a bomb just go off? Oh, I think shit. he got right you know, in the middle. <laughs> you know, that was the acronym for Mutually Assured Destruction. You know, if, if you send even one missile over at us, we send them all to you. You know, none, neither player walks out. Of it. It's like that will be war games. You know, the only way to win is not to play. And we're not, we're not laughing like I mean, at I'm, you, but you cut out, dude. I hold on for man. like for like three seconds, and and I what thought did I, a bomb, kill, I thought a I'm bomb had kill gone Mark. Off. He goes, did a bomb go off? <laughs> <laughs> Vin, you you cut out. I don't know if that recorded. Go to your last sentence you said. I want to hear this. Last time. couple of sentences. Yeah. Yeah. Go to well, like two crap. What did you guys hear last? Um, uh, oh gosh, we had me laughing so hard. Um, go back two sentences. You guys weren't listening. That's what it was, right? <laughs> yeah, <I> was <laughs> Dude, I'm deep. I'm deep into this. You're so, terrifying. Uh, it's me. about That's the, the fi- it's about the fear. And like you said, uh, okay. uh, don't be afraid about the guy that wants a thousand. Be afraid about the guy that wants one. And how this, was yeah, yeah. So I mean, what I was then. saying with that. Yeah, so the saying is generally that, you know, don't be afraid of the country that wants a thousand, be afraid of the guy that only wants one. Um, because that's the person that's probably going to use it. Um, and the other thing that I was talking about was, you know, the, the policy in the Cold War was known as MAD, MAD, 
you know, mad as in crazy, but it, it was an acronym that stood for mutually assured destruction, which essentially said that if you send one missile at us, we send them all to you. That nobody walks away from this fight. You know, it's just like the movie War Games. The only way to win is not to play. Um, but, you know, we, again, I'm just going to reiterate because I don't know what was lost before. Uh, but, you know, in 1954, this is less than 10 years after Hiroshima and Nagasaki and the same year that Castle Bravo exploded. So these are very ripe fears. Yeah, it's, dude, first of all, man, like, that is so, like, there's horror movies and there's horror. That's horror. That's so chilling to me. Like I and said, this is, that, what I just was just saying was the scariest thing that'll ever be said in this podcast. No, it, it, <laughs> it really, it really truly is. It's the worst thing ever created by human hands. Um, yeah, and like nice. you said, like, we just don't, we don't have movies about, like, we, we don't talk about this type of stuff. And to see the people in power that have this stuff that could just say, do it, dude. Like today, especially with the tension, you could, you know, it's, it's, we're on like one hair thread left. We almost accidentally bombed North Carolina. What? There there was an incident, I think it was the 1960s or something like that. There was a plane carrying two nuclear armaments and it started breaking up in flight and it crashed. All right. And it had two nuclear bombs on it. And when they found it, all right, one of them was actually set to armed. No, I, man, I, I'm right there with you. It is scary stuff, and um, I think they were, I think we're so used to it or numb to it right now. You know, back back in, in the it 50s hasn't when happened. this was made, that this this was more of a, you know, I mean these these kids are having drills every day, you know, to to get under their desk and put their head between your knees. Okay, that's not going to help you at all uh, if an atomic bomb <laughs> explodes. Um, near you, and we live near two nuclear power plants. So do I, and, right and, by one. And you know what? That's fine with me, because if a bomb gets, I want to be instantaneously vaporized. Yeah, get rid of uh, me. I don't want to die of radiation poisoning and or giant burned. ants. Uh, yeah, no, no, thank you. Uh, I'd like to be right next to the uh, to the flash. So and uh, and yeah. one more thing here, uh, we got to get Vin back on, but. Uh, Vin literally had, there's a point to why he brought all that up because it nails the drive in culture. That's what all these movies were was because of that. Uh, It it was all because of these damn bombs. So uh, that's the, that's why Vin brought it up and it's, it started around this time. So, all right. Yeah. Well, I'll show you one more thing that this same year uh, in Japan, Godzilla came out, um, which is also a movie that deals with nuclear fears, which, deals with uh you know creating a monster to act as a surrogate for all that nuclear energy and in this case it's the american destruction and you know nuclear bombs that dropped on japan but still it's it's all a product of the same fears exactly so there's actually a great thing that came out of such a terrible thing and that is that we got some pretty awesome movies out the of the big deal. Big bug movies. That's right, man. <laughs> and Godzilla, come on. Alright, guys, oh, let's get into the rating. Let's get into rating them. Uh Jerry, guest, come on in with your rating for them, dude. Alright, well, considering this is literally one of the best of the 1950s Cold War paranoia radioactive monster movies that came out in the time, uh, this movie is damn near perfect to me. There's uh, very few things I can nitpick about it. 
And with that all said, I am giving this film a 9 out of 10 giant ants. Yeah, dude, uh, I'm just going to echo you. Uh, we're on the same exact page. Uh, it's not the perfect movie, but it, it's damn near perfect, <laughs> especially for what it is. Um, so I'm coming in with a 9 out of 10, and I would buy it. Uh, I, I ordered it. the day I watched it on uh, some internet site. Uh, well, it might have been YouTube. I don't know, but... I ordered it right after that, so it's a buy for me, and it's, like I said, it's going to be in my rotation, so a 9 out of 10 for Walshy. Uh, Vin, what is your rating for them? Well, apparently you guys have been looking at my notes. I don't know how. There but, it is. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, also 9 out of 10 for me. I mean, I love the way it looks. Uh, it's a terrific script. It's a, a lot of fun, and again, I think it, it captures that, that Cold War paranoia so well. Um, and, yeah, it's it's a it's a classic, absolutely. Sweet. Mark Nato, them, rate it. Yeah, I'm I'm going to go a tick higher. Uh, I really love this movie. Uh, Walshy, where did you, did you get a Blu-ray or is it just a DVD? DVD. There is no Blu-ray of this movie yet? I don't there think is. so. Yes, I, there is. Oh, is there? It I doesn't have any real, features. you know, bells and whistles to it. That's yeah. why I, yeah. Who, I got who the put that pack. out? Did anybody know? I got uh, the Warner Brothers pack. I don't know who got the Blu-ray. Yeah. I, I'd have to go a, grab it from another room. Okay. All right. Well, let me know afterwards. I'm definitely going to buy it. Um, I tell you what, it looks great on on DVD. So yes, I'm going to give it, it on Amazon for like twelve bucks or something like that. So nice. I'm going to give it a nine and a half uh, ant eggs out of ten, <laughs> and uh, I, I recommend it. Go watch it. Uh, drive into the horror cast drive in. Put the top down and watch this movie as soon as possible. Okay, very good. And that is going to do it for our first review this evening, and we'll be right back after this little intermission. It's intermission. Rise and stretch time. Time to refresh yourself and visit our snack bar. Got a yen for hot popcorn? Your favorite soft drinks are sparkling cold. The juicy Frank sizzling hot. There's delicious coffee freshly brewed. And all kinds of ice cream and candy to tempt you. Showtime will be announced loud and clear to get you back to your car in time. So stretch your legs. Come to the snack bar now. Okay, guys, we are back. And let's get right into our second review of the night. And that is 1958's The Blob. It has a runtime of 1 hour 26 minutes. Once again, a horror slash sci-fi released on Walshy's birthday, September 12th, 1958 in the United States. It holds a rather low 6.4 out of 10, if I'd say, with a little over 17,500 reviews. The directors are Irvin Yaworth Jr., Russell S. Doughton Jr. Writers are Theodore Simonson. He did the screenplay. Kay Lineker also did the screenplay as Kate Phillips. It stars, here we go, Steve McQueen as Steve Andrews. We got Annette Corsat, I'll just take it, as Jane Martin. We got Earl Rowe as Lieutenant Dave. We got Owen Holland as Old Man. Stephen Chase as Dr. T. Howland. And we got John Benson as Sergeant Jim Burt. George Karras as Officer Ritchie. Lee Payton as the nurse. Uh, we got Albert Smith as Henry Martin. Uh, a lot more, a lot more. So we'll leave it at that. 
And who is going to handle the synopsis for the blob? I'll do it. I'll do it. Do it. A meteorite falls at the edge of a small town and brings forth a jelly-like creature that basically <laughs> consumes the flesh or the person as it uh, comes in contact with you. And it grows as it does that. It just becomes a big gelatinous blob. And it's up to Steve McQueen, uh, also known as Steve Andrews. Such a man, that is such a 50s movie's name. Steve it Andrews. Is. It is. <laughs> and his brother, Buster. Um, so Steve Andrews and his girlfriend, Jane, to uh, convince the police and all the inhabitants of the town that there is a threat and this is real. So basically what you have here is is this is one of the first like those crazy kids we don't believe you type of movies. I can't think yep. of another one before this. But yep. the kids know it's true and no one will believe them. So that's what it is. Yeah, that's it, man. That handles it. So what do you say we play the trailer? Dave, Doc Hallen's been killed. Doc Hallen, what happened? It's over at his place. You gotta come now. Oh, wait a minute, Steve. Tell us what happened. Well, I'm trying to tell you. Now this thing had killed the doc. Well, what was it? Stop with it, kid. But it's kind of like a... It's kind of like a mass that keeps getting bigger and bigger. It... Every one of you watching this screen, look out. Because soon, very soon, the most horrifying monster menace ever conceived will be oozing into this theater. Teenagers see it first, like a falling star from outer space. Boy, that was close. Hey, come on, I want to see if I can find it. An old man finds it, touches it, and this is the shocking result. From then on, there's no stopping the blob as it spreads from town to town. It's indestructible. It's indescribable. Nothing can stop it. This town is in danger. How can it be stopped? Mob hysteria sweeps one city. Before long, the nation, and then the world could fall before the blood-curdling threat of the Bob. Starring Steve McQueen and a cast of exciting young people. Okay, guys, let's get into our first impressions of The Blob. Um, Let's get Jerry in again. Jerry, what did you think first time? <clears throat> well, first time would have been a good 20, 25 years ago. This is definitely one of my favorite 50s creature features, if we can still call it a creature feature. I guess we can call it a gelatinous creature feature. Yeah. But um, Yeah, definitely love the film. Uh, loved... Some of the performances in the film, uh, you know, Steve McQueen is in it. We'll get into his performance a little bit later. But uh, yeah, ultimately, um, good storyline, fairly basic. I mean, uh, fairly co um, color by numbers, not, you know, not a whole lot of uh, intricacies to the plot. You know, alien blob falls to the sky and it eats everything in its path. 
and hilarity ensues. So, yeah, so uh, I genuinely enjoy the movie. You know, I've got my problems with it. I probably have a few more problems with this movie than I did with them. But, uh, you know, we'll get into that in a little bit. But ultimately, yeah, good, a solid movie, uh, classic drive-in creature feature. And, uh, yeah, definitely liked it. Awesome. Okay, then, what about you? What were your first impressions of the Bob? Oh, man. Uh, I don't remember the first time I saw it. I mean, I must have been pretty young. Uh, I remember every time it came on television, I'd have to watch it. You know, it was exciting. Um, Over the years, this movie, um, this is going to sound really dumb, but I'm going to make a really dumb comparison. Uh, So I have this old button-up cardigan sweater. All right. And I like to throw it on in the winter with a T-shirt and a pair of pajamas. And my wife absolutely hates it because she thinks it makes me look old. All right. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure where this is going, <laughs> but it's completely comfortable and familiar. And I find its old fashioned character charmingly appealing. All right. And that's kind of what the blob has always been to me. It's old fashioned, comfortable, something I could sit down and watch. It feels like slipping on a warm geriatric sweater in the best possible way. Um, <laughs> and, and I say that knowing that as a white male, um, 1950s is a certain level of comfort for me that it wouldn't be for other people, <laughs> you know, for, for other members of the, you know, American demographics. Um, you know, so I, I think that's kind of just an important thing to state is in, in both of these movies, there is not a non-white person to be found. Um, so this is very much, you know, white middle America. Um, and it's something that I grew up in. So it's something familiar to me. Uh, but I understand that something that I might find comfortable watching, um, might not be, might not be reflective of other people. I'm just, I'm just putting that out there, but that's kind of what the blob has always been. It's just been this like putting on a nice old sweater. Well, I think that's perfect, man. It's a comfort food. Uh, To be honest, going all the way back, I seriously cannot remember the first horror movie I watched. I know the first one that I could remember, but I do have a vivid memory of being at an uncle's house and him having this VHS. And we were bored, man, my brother and I. And I said, put a movie in. He's like, all I have is this. And it's called The Blob, but it's too scary for you. I was real young, probably six, seven. I I don't care. I want to see it. So he threw it in the VHS. I remember getting creeped out and now watching it years later. Of course, not my six-year-old mind. Um, There's things I could poke fun at, but then you kind of nailed it, man. It's like a comfort food. Uh, This has a history of my horror-related life. Uh, So it it means it has a special place in my heart because of that. Um, Not only is it a fun movie for me to watch, but it reminds me of family and Stuff like that, you know, the connections we make through watching t- uh, these types of movies. So that that's my first impressions. It's vague, but I remember very certain parts being very vivid other than, you know, those certain scenes that creep me out. And that's it for my first impressions. Uh, okay, who else here? Mark? Yeah, well, I have this uh, old pair of underwear. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> what I... What I like to do is get that out and put that on top of my head and watch the blob. And Pixar <laughs> didn't have it. It didn't have the same effect. Um, no, I absolutely uh, think this is an iconic 50s drive-in movie. Uh, I, I don't think you can even mention 50s drive-in without talking about the blob. Um, no, you can't. Now, now. <laughs> Is this a movie that 
is going to frighten anybody today by by today's standards. No, it is definitely something that you got to look back with nostalgia and, and say, "Oh man, this this probably would have freaked some people out back in in, in what 1958." And um, I think that uh, it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty clever. I, I like uh, it's it's more clever than it is scary. Uh, I, I like the fact that. Um, it's not something that I really had seen before. It's uh, what's the guy's name that it, it was a professor that came up with the idea. Uh, he didn't write it. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. His name was Irvin H. Milgate, and he was a professor friend of uh, Irvin Ye- Yeaworth Jr. I believe <clears throat> the director, and um, it was just his idea. I don't know. He came up with it, and uh, the two writers fleshed it out into a screenplay. Uh, it, it's kind of neat to yeah, to very think fun of idea. this 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 small meteorite or whatever, and it breaks open, and there's this gelatinous mass, and and it just consumes you and grows bigger. Yeah, you know, it, it that's just uh, you know I love it. Did you ever did you ever play blob tag when you were a kid? Come on now, <laughs> blob tag. Not in Pennsylvania, we don't <laughs> you have. You ever play tag. blob tag? Nope. Basically, nope. you start out like regular tag, but when when it tags you, you become part of it. I always call that amoeba. I think that's what we okay. call amoeba tag. Okay. Yeah, let, that's the that. Yeah, let me set you it. straight. It's called blob tag. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> amoeba. What is the anyway? But uh, I think that's kind of cool. Uh, <clears throat> we'll we'll talk a little bit about the um, the uh, remake. I think. Uh, at the end of this, but oh um, yeah, one yeah, day we're doing that. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, like I said, iconic, and I'm so glad that I picked it and got to revisit it. All right, awesome, awesome. All right, we got our first impressions out of the way. Let's get into some likes. Jerry, what did you like about the blob? Um, uh, let's see, what did I like about the blob? Um. I thought the cinematography was great, very well shot. Uh, I love the color correction throughout. I mean, the, the the colors are nice and bright. They pop out of the screen. Um, probably one of the first color horror movies I remember seeing, so it definitely was very vibrant, left an impression in my head. Um, let's see. I, I yeah, did like some of the perform. Oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna say it's almost like not. It's almost like it's not real life colors. Um, that's what I love about this film and the older movies like that. I don't know if the you know what I mean. And like the, the blues skin- are so bright. Yeah, right, yeah. right. And the skin tone's not perfectly right, but you know, especially compared to HD standards. But it's just yeah. like a, a cool little thing about these type of films. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I thought it was a pretty. I, I want to say it's a it's a competent soundtrack. I'm not going to go so, so far as to say it's a great soundtrack. It's a fairly basic Hollywood sci-fi soundtrack, which is still you know above average. It, it it does its job basically. Let's say that I don't think I don't think it really goes above and beyond, but it does its job. So ultimately, it is a passable soundtrack. And um, uh, let's see. Um, ultimately, what else did I like? I'm sorry if I'm having trouble finding likes because ultimately I had more dislikes for this movie than likes. As much as I love this movie and as much as I accept it as a cult classic, uh, there's a lot of problems with this movie. So I'll definitely have a lot more to speak about when we talk about dislikes. Yeah, that's good, man. We'll pass it around. You'll think of something. Uh, mm-hmm. Vin, how about you, man? What did you like about the Bob? Um, well, I mean, one of the first things on my list was actually what Jerry was just saying, that that color palette, um, it's, it's great. 
Um, I, let me just kind of jump into the whole thing with the teen protagonists. Um, I, this is actually kind of a really interesting period uh, of history for teenagers. Um, all right, I'm going to geek out again one second, all right? Um, I found a an article from June 1954, Life Magazine. All right, it's called The Luckiest Generation. Um, and I think it really kind of helps to explain the kind of teenagers that we're seeing on this. All right, it says, all right, this is the article, a part of it. It says, the morning traffic and and parking problems became so critical at the Carlsbad, New Mexico high school that school authorities in 1953 were finally forced to a solution. They set aside a special parking area for students only in Carlsbad as everywhere else. Teenagers are not only driving new cars to school, but in many cases are buying them out with their own earnings. These are the children who at birth were called depression babies. They have grown up to become material, at least America's luckiest generation. Young people, 16 to 20 are the beneficiaries of the very economic collapse that brought chaos almost a generation ago. The depression tumbled the nation's birth rate to an all-time low in 1933, and today's teenage group is proportionally a smaller part of the total population than in more than 70 years. Since there are fewer of them, each, in the most, prosperous, in the most prosperous time in U.S. history, gets a bigger piece of the nation's economic pie than any previous generation ever got. This means they can almost have their pick of the jobs that are around, uh, to them, working as a, has a double attraction. The pay is good, and since their parents are earning more, too, they are often able to keep the money for themselves. All right, So this generation, they call it the luckiest generation. It's also been called the silent generation. Um, and it's often called that because it was less prone to activism, and they were far more conformist and career-orientated. Um, and with this strong economy and less job competition, the teens earn money, and they can afford cars especially used cars all right and again this 50s it was kind of an era of conformity and consumerism and this teen subculture really was no exception um so by 1958 you know in 1954 we saw them and the target audience for that film you know teens might have been included in that but they were not the prime audience but by 1958 teens are really being seen as a viable economic tap, you know, that people can really market to. Uh, again, they had less responsibilities, but they had more money. Um, and in the film, the adult males are all veterans and, you know, they're, they're the GI generation. So they look at the teenagers in the film with a lot of suspicion. You know, they kind of see them as the enemy now. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see these, these teen protagonists inside this film. Um, I had mentioned when we talked about them that there's kind of this blind trust and authority, you know, and in this one, now we see the teenagers know what's going on and the adult, the adult authority was the one that was in them was hiding it from the public. Um, but in this one, the teenagers are trying to convince that authority. All right. And they're, they're constantly met with distrust. You have that, that one group that goes to that party and they're pretty much laughed out of the party, even though they're trying to warn people. Yeah, you guys remember that scene? Um, yep. oh, yeah. yeah, so, uh, but ultimately the film, even though, you know, this was also a time of the, uh, the kind of juvenile delinquency films, you know, 1955 rebel without a cause came out in blackboard jungle. Um, and the blob was really trying to show these teenagers in a more positive light. You know, they do dumb things, but ultimately they're good kids who want what's best for their community, you know? Um, so I, I just think that again, this, this film captures that whole thing. I almost think in like in its, in its purest form, you know, <laughs> in cinema. Um, 
to see these teenage these teenage protagonists, Mark, you had mentioned it before, just trying to convince an unbelieving authority yeah, that there's danger. And of course, that set a standard for decades where we constantly see that over and over again. Friday the 13th, Port 6. <laughs> yep. Yeah, Jason nice. lives. Yep. I'm telling you, man, Jason's back. But yep. uh, yeah, I mean, this is um, there are problems with this film. I mean, if you really uh, split it apart and dissect it, uh, yeah, it's definitely um, not a perfect film. But it's it's to me, it's so much fun, <clears throat> and it's uh, I just get so much nostalgia out of it that yes. uh, that that I can overlook a lot of that stuff and and. My rating will probably be higher than what really the movie deserves. You know what I'm saying? Like that—that that was strange that you said that on IMDb it's got a what a six, six point four, six point four out of ten, and that—that's a little bit surprising to me. That's pretty low for such an iconic movie. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I'll, I'll get into some likes here. Uh, nobody mentioned the intro song, "The Blob." Come on. I mean, how, how 50s could you get, man? You might be hearing that on the way out. Hey, come on. The Bob song. No, you uh, might be hearing that on the way out. Oh, I thought, okay, I thought you meant in the dislikes. <laughs> no. <laughs> all right, all right. I got you. Got you, brother. Guys, I'm sorry. I'm recording. the. It's, what, two days till the 4th of July here, uh, and the fireworks are just pounding away so i, I guess someone going off around me too so yeah so you know i can't help that but um i like uh where can i where can i start man i like the uh, just the design of this type of monster is this the first time we get like a amorphous monster i think it is on film something without arms legs uh the right biology like this almost doesn't even have a biology we don't know if it's uh, if it's thinking, it seems like it is sometimes, but you just, you don't know. And I just think that's a really cool idea that they mixed it up and, and it works for me. Uh, this is another movie for me that is very nostalgic feeling. So when I, when I talk about likes and dislikes, I, I'm going to lean towards more my like side. Uh, I really enjoyed, uh, the three punks in the movie, <laughs> the bullies, uh, I could see how this could be a dislike, but just because I love that era and the culture, um, it seems like maybe I might have been one of them. So maybe it's just, uh, to me, I, I really enjoyed that part. Um, what are, what like are you how, talking about, man? Yeah, yeah, you, you yeah. You don't just drop a challenge and leave. <laughs> yeah. Come on, man. I got a, I got a faster car than you. I mean, it was, it was a little weird though, because it seemed like they were kind of bullies. They weren't though. Like antagonists. Yeah, they weren't at all. And yeah, they were his friends. They were his good friends. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, okay. I'm not I don't kidding. know if that was a trick to us viewers or not. It didn't uh, work out quite as well. But uh, I know how they, they they don't know what to do with this thing. Nobody knows what to do. They gotta try and sit there and study it. I thought that was a really cool point in the movie too. Uh, Mark, Mark, what else did you like? Uh, I just like the the character. Uh, I'm not saying that I liked all the acting, but I, I liked the characters. I liked, you know, the good cop, bad cop uh, type thing they had going on there. And it goes back to what Vin was saying. The one cop who was the bad cop, uh, he was a war veteran, you know, and, and, and he said something in there about the kids, you know, don't like me because of my reputation. My war record. Yeah, they want to. war record or yeah. whatever. And, um, and then the, the good cop, you know, he's, 
he knows that you know Steve is is a, is a good guy and he wants to believe him, but you know things are just kind of outlandish and they're not getting the proof. So, um, so I thought they they were good. I I liked uh, there was a little bit of um, comic relief uh, when <laughs> when when they start you know si- um, doing the air raid or the siren. Yeah. <laughs> and the guy gets out of bed and he's putting on his his helmet. I need my, my air raid helmet, and he puts his yeah. air raid on. And then then he switches to a white helmet, which I'm not sure yeah. what you know. Uh, I don't I don't yeah. know what to wear. You know that was yeah that funny. got me. Yeah, the fire the the fire sirens start going off, and then yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah that got me too. Yeah. But <laughs> but it was just uh it it was it was uh a cast of characters that I enjoyed watching and um i think that let's see who 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 did i like as far as acting uh i did like the uh the policeman the good cop bad cop i thought they were good um i liked steve mcqueen in some instances mm. but i i do uh, get into i guess dislike here yeah well i we'll just talk. think he was just a little bit too old a little bit. A well, little. He was twenty. <laughs> these teens were seventeen, going on thirty. Yeah, he was. I mean, I they were was, maybe forty. I think he was. Yeah. Tw- no, he was twenty-seven or twenty-eight. Well, he looked about thirty-two. I re- I re- yeah, I remember looking at it, and I remember the first, like the first scene when they're up there, and he's trying to, you know, get a kissy, kissy uh, from old Helen Crump from the Andy Griffith Show. Uh, who, by <laughs> yeah, the way, let's it. just say she's not a looker. Okay. Mm, that's not the best. Not the could, best. Could they have uh, maybe, you know, I, I don't know. Okay, I digress. I know we know but what you mean. From we that first mean. scene, I'm like, good lord, Steve McQueen looks like he's about forty, and uh, <laughs> I just think that, I guess maybe back in the day when they didn't have the high definition or you know they didn't clean it up as much as, uh, but I don't know. I don't know. I just, I guess that is uh, par for the course for that for that day, right? It happened a lot. I, I did yeah. hear that the actors were uncomfortable playing teenagers. <laughs> I would, you know, I know, both I know uh, Steve McQueen and the actress. Kids, they had a hard time twice. with it. Yeah. yeah, I know Helen Crump. <laughs> I'll just refer to her as Helen Crump from now on. Uh, Helen <laughs> Crump was definitely uncomfortable with it, but you know, a job's a job, right? So that's it, man. And this whole thing was uh, filmed up there in uh, good old Pennsylvania, right? Yeah, yeah, it was uh, close anywhere, to Pittsburgh. Anywhere near you? No, no, not really near me. But uh, I was there once at the Colonial uh, for Bob Fest. Uh, I got to run out of the theater after the movie. Oh, that's uh, hilarious! Yeah, dude, uh, what a theater! Uh, I gotta say, and you can see it in the in the movie itself. Just so, very classical, and they keep it the same way. Uh, the reason that theater's open is still because of this movie. So, uh, it, you know, it's it's, it's it's just that it's got that vibe, you know what I mean? Uh, when you walk into it, it, it's literally like you walk into the Blob movie, and you 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 are practically a yeah. really cool little thing that they do, and and then it happens every year. Yeah. Um, I, I would recommend it. It's really fun. Yeah, uh, I got to do that. I got to do that one year when I uh, I went to college in Pittsburgh. So oh, uh, sweet dude. Yeah, so I, I got to I got to go to like the Dawn of the Dead mall when they would have so these zombie awesome. walks. Yeah, yep. yeah, that it's a great horror town for those. of you you in Pittsburgh take advantage of everything that's offered out there because I mean they do so much on an annual basis that they don't advertise well enough you know if you're just relying on Facebook you're not going to hear about a lot of the events that they have 
Yeah, Pittsburgh is just a great city to be around. They got everything. They really Especially, is. Like you said, for us horror fans. So yes, yeah. Um, I like I I, I kind of like how, but once again, the monster. There's like no in the beginning. There's no like silver bullet. There's no sunlight, stake, gun, knife, blah blah blah. You know, like like the regular monsters that can take care of this, and they got to figure that out. And another thing I really liked is before it's too big to realize, you know, when it's this giant thing, then everybody kind of realizes, oh, that must be what's doing it, how it, it makes the victim completely disappear. You don't even see it inside of the monster. It okay. just is a bigger blob. And I always looked at it as, like, more blood uh, filled up in it. Uh, you know, I don't know if that's true or not, but I just thought that was a really cool wink. Well, it uh, just, you know, they're gone. It just, it just dissolves. It's gone. It just consumes what you were, and and, and, yep. and, and it's whatever gelatinous flesh right. <clears throat> becomes more um i, I really want to say that i enjoyed the the special effects in the movie yeah i did some too, of them there there's a few what they were there's a few scenes that are like yeah you can tell that's kind of like a painting or, or something right. mm-hmm. and it is especially a towards the end yeah. yeah yeah but but the actual blob uh as it's as it's growing you know that that silicone um Silicone and I guess probably red dye or whatever was probably right. caused cancer. Uh, that that was pretty cool. And then I really liked the miniatures work that that they did. I don't know if you knew that, but like yeah, I appreciate that too. Yeah, like the inside of the theater, there was one scene, and I think that they had created a miniature, uh, mm-hmm. and it's really kind of seamless. No, um, it's really I really like the one in the doctor's office. Yeah, yeah, that's the one when they're making about. it move by like rotating the room. Yeah, you know, it's kind of yep. like what Wes Craven would do, you know, in Nightmare on Elm Street. But it's right, to get that right. blob to move by, yeah, you know, having this the stationary room mm-hmm. rotating. Even, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Even talking about that, yeah, I agree. But even talking about that, I liked seeing the meteor and it, it, like it, kind of like the meteor was the eggshell, and it coming out of its egg in a way. That, I thought that was yeah. brilliant. And that's pretty mm-hmm. gross. That's pretty gross to me. Like I don't know those. I'm I'm one of those guys that you ever see those things on Facebook where they they show like the picture of somebody's palm and there's holes all in it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's not mm-hmm. my thing. Real stuff like that. No, no, no. But, no. That, but that's not real. That's that's like the that's like the um the seed pod of of some sort of a fruit. Yeah, that they, they, they put on they, they, it yeah, uh, on the shoulder. But that whole thing, like that, those holes. That it's it's like a fear. Yeah, there's a technical hole. word for yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. That's disgusting, and it makes and and that like meteorite looked like something like that, and then, yeah, and then he did. poked it with a stick, and it broke open, and that broke stuff open, yeah. came oozing out. That's that was just. Ugh. <laughs> yep. I did also enjoy. I, I actually liked the first kill of the movie. I like that it wasn't a fast kill. That uh, the the creature kind of took its time devouring its first victim, yeah, almost really like cool. it, almost like it was getting used to Earth's food, or at least yeah. what is food for him. <laughs> Nice um, point. Yeah. yeah, I genuinely like that. Because, I mean, they easily could have just had a big blah, you know, scare moment where this big gelatinous monster just jumps on someone and, you know, instantly just devours them. I, I genuinely right. enjoyed that first one. Yeah. yeah, or just cut away or something, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I wanted to say to you, um, Walsh, you had said that when you were a kid, you thought that uh, it was red because of the blood or whatever. It says, according to the producer... Jack Harris, they added dye to the blob to make it look redder after it had consumed successive victims. So it did oh, so. get so it did get redder and redder 
And so that that might have been what they were thinking is blood. And, well, yeah, that was know. always my logic. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, but yeah, I think most people would think that, you know. Yeah. Now, um, I, I thought that I thought that uh, yeah that that scene where everyone's running out of the theater that that's one of the most iconic scenes in in film in, in film history. <laughs> yeah. And you know there there was a lot of chaos going on there, and I think a lot of people were trying to. It's funny to look at slow. Oh yeah, because they're trying. They're like, "This is my chance to get on camera." This is it. Yeah. A lot of them are smiling if you look at them. Oh, I know, yeah. I yeah. love it. But there were some people that were and literally fell down and were getting trampled. Yeah, it was like it, it looked. Friday. It looked pretty, uh, pretty convincing. Mm-hmm. And and the scene, the the scene that doesn't get as much um, love as that as that one does is when they're standing there in front of the. The grocery store, yeah, 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 and, and the and the bad cop comes out. There's nothing in here, and yep. then they just come pouring around the corner, you know, <laughs> ah! <laughs> yeah, right down there. There is, yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah. So, and I, I like uh, I like the fifties look of this movie. I like the yeah, the whole vibe is great. Yeah, I like the one of the only sets that they built was the inside of the grocery store, and I like seeing the. Uh, you know those old time freezers. You know, yeah, it's awesome. Frozen food. I yep. like I like the cars, like that that purple like truckish car that the the bully guy had. What was his name? Yeah, the like chop top. Yeah, man, that was a sweet ride. Yeah, I that's liked, like pretty that. bad. Yeah, yeah, I like that. So. And 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 what about that ending, guys? Uh, we kind of hinted at it in our last review. Do you dig it, or or was it not enough? I I personally think it fell short for me. I thought it was okay. just too convenient. Um, very little. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess the final set piece at the diner was cool, but just the ultimate culmination of the story left me a little flat. I got you. Okay. Um, I, I personally didn't mind it. Uh, I kind of like the way and how they added a stinger in a way. I did like that, that it's kind of not over. Um, they ended up doing a sequel, uh, it's out on blu-ray now i think it's just the return of the blob not that very well loved and i've never seen it uh, i don't know if you guys have and i don't know if it kind of carries on the same story or characters i don't think the any of the real actors from this one are in it but uh, i i like how they they didn't kill this they didn't kill it they just they just stopped it i i like the idea of the ending you know and i i right. like how the the teenagers kind of you know hook up with the the principal and yeah, they go to the school and principal smashes the window to get in there and, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they're yeah. getting all of them, you know. But my problem with the ending is that almost entirely it happens off screen. You know, we're just kind of seeing people's reactions yeah, here and there, you know, mm-hmm. but it's you don't really see what's going on most of the time. There's just a couple of shots of them spraying the, the fire extinguishers and, you know, we see a couple little shots of the blob kind of retreating. Uh, but for the most part, that entire end conversation where they're freezing the thing, you don't you hardly see anything at all. Um, yeah, that's, that's true. I, I just wish that that we had more of it happened on screen. That that's really my yeah. my thing for that. Now I gotta ask you, Walshy, are you sure there was a sequel to this? Yeah, yes. it was called he Son right. of Blob. It came out in the seventies, I believe. Well, it's called one, Son of Blob. Well, there's one. Oh, okay, called, there's one. There's one that's too. called Beware the Blob. That's it. Beware. That's it. That's the one I'm talking about. But that's not. I don't know if that's a. It's not a technical sequel. I think it's I more think of it, like. A, it's more of like a parody. I, oh, I, don't, I thought yeah. it was part of it. Because it's like a comedy. 
I never um, saw it. Yeah, but I still thought it was part of yeah, the, the Blob series. I mean, That's a beware of the Blob. Yeah, it just came out on mm-hmm. Blu-ray not too long ago, um, and I heard you know talking about it, but I never heard anything about it. I never even saw a trailer for it, to be honest. Yeah, um, according. But, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. According- According to a description, it does look like it is a direct sequel. The description starts out with a technician brings a frozen specimen of the original blob back from the North Pole. So it almost looks like it is uh, a little bit of a direct sequel, at least indirectly. I'm yeah, saying they considered a comedy first. Yeah, right. indirectly. Uh, I don't, yeah. I, it didn't have any of the same producers or right. It's just somebody um, using the name. Using the sure. name, and I don't know if there was a, you know, was there a, was there like rights i guess back then uh, how, how would they get away yeah i i don't know because well, that's, actually that's, that era no, I, you're right man i'm looking right here executive producer jack h harris really same, same guy yeah so, it, crazy so there you so go maybe it was just like one of those cash and, out. you know what i'll check it out i'll check it out and, and can you believe uh burgess meredith is in it wow as well as sid Haig. What? <laughs> Sid Haig in is Beware un- the Blob? Yes. Yep. He is uncredited as Zed. So it's going to be one of those <laughs> Leonard Nimoy type things. Yeah, right, you're not, right. You're not going to really see him, but that, that's like kind of cool. And and the craziest thing is, do you know who the director is? For Beware? No, I don't know nothing Fre- about it. Oh, yeah. Freaking J.R. Ewing. Larry Hagman. Are you serious? Yes, yeah. he he also starred in it as Young Hobo. He was the director? He was the director. Yes. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm looking, looking at, at it now. Right? Yeah, That's insane. I mean, <laughs> this movie sounds nuts. Beware the Blob, directed by J.R. Ewing. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. That's just, it, it's a little crazy. So, Looking at some of these photos, I feel like I have like a vague memory of seeing this as a child. You might have, man. That super bright blob. You know, I don't know. It's yeah, I, I, feel it's, like I, I might have seen this when I was really young. I, I'm going to check brighter. it out. It's definitely <laughs> brighter. And is that is that Dick Van Patten? Yes, <laughs> Dick Van Patten is in that. Oh, my gosh. What hey, a- any listeners out there saw this? Uh, let us know on uh, Facebook. I'm dying to know what you thought. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm going to I'm going to have to check this out. And that's. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's pretty cool. People, uh, a couple inside of a car. And the uh, the blob is covering the windshield. That uh, was, yeah, I, I'm gonna check yeah, it out I'm too. gonna check it out. All right, enough about beware the blob. I just, I was just trying to. Um, you so know. no, that that connects to our the stinger. So something yeah. did actually happen. Good, good. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, any more likes before we hop on to the other side? Uh, uh, I, no, go ahead, Jerry. Uh, I was just gonna say I like eighty cent movies. <laughs> did you get this for eighty cents? I wish. No, no. In the movie, they mention that they wasted oh, their eighty cents. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's oh, actually man. related Imagine. to one of. That's related to my other like is that these oh, teens oh. are planning to go and see a spooky show. The you know, it's show. this is a this is actually <laughs> perhaps one of the earliest film references to the midnight movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the first times it's ever mentioned. Um, and this is also the first movie that put horror directly inside the theaters. Yep. Um, and William Castle was actually inspired by this to create the Tingler. The year after this, that's um, cool. and have that set inside a theater. So th- this cool. this was a groundbreaking film in many ways. But again, especially when it relates to depicting teenage culture and thing that teenagers were doing. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, they're doing their drag do racing. Well. They're going to these midnight yep. movies. They're seeing the horror films. You know, they were, they were um, spoiled, drive. man. They were spoiled. 
Yep. Yeah, and they they didn't have any responsibilities. They have these cars and no responsibilities. You know. Now, now here's here's the cool thing. Uh, I want to read this right from IMDb because I don't want to mess it up. The strange movie being shown in the theater was not a phony (laughs) movie created for the film. It was an actual movie originally released as Dementia in 1955. The scenes shown are the recut version titled Daughter of Horror. And who, who did it say that was starring? Bela. Bela Lugosi. Yepper. And the voice doing the narration. Guess who it is? No way. Ed McMahon. Ed McMahon. <laughs> oh, it's, oh okay. wow. He's also Johnny. the figure walking across the screen with a stocking over his head. Really? <laughs> Ed McMahon is? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. gosh. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, anything else for likes? All mine were covered. Yep. All right, we got it. Seems yeah. like we got it. All right. Um, I know that, Jerry, you got a couple dislikes. So yeah. let's hear it, brother. I want to hear what you thought. All right. Well, unfortunately, I have to disagree with all of you on the opening theme. I don't like it very much. <laughs> it's not good, but it's just there. It's, it's a silly. Like, yeah, it's, crazy. it's not a good because, song, but I, right. I enjoy hearing it in the beginning of the movie. <laughs> right. Because it's yes. so weird. <laughs> but it's almost it's almost deceptive because it sets almost a whimsical tone. No, I get that. Totally. Yeah. I, get which, that. You I know, know what you mean. I know. I totally. Mean. You know, as opposed to the opening intro uh, of them that we talked about, where it definitely sets the tone for the movie. Yeah, this right. one, th- it's almost the the complete antithesis of the movie of what we're actually viewing on the screen, and we get what is basically a bleach bank blanket bingo uh, type intro <laughs> song. It does, though, let us know who the target audience is. Very true. You know? I will give and you that. I guess that that song was actually that was the idea of Paramount. Yeah, well, the, the genre itself. Yeah, yeah the, the the filmmakers did not want that song they didn't like it at all um but paramount kind of demanded they put it in and it it ended up becoming like a smash hit and it gave the film a lot of free publicity <laughs> no, so they were like all right that's fine you know well yeah. i guess we'll just go for it, it but was, uh it was a big hit <laughs> yeah it's, mm. it's such yeah. a product of his time it's time but Absolutely. dude jerry i know exactly what you're saying i look at it i could look at it on a dislike or like but i just it gives me that fifties vibe so i'm like okay i'm about to watch the blob totally totally like if i, I heard that get. song if I heard that song at the beginning of like uh I don't know uh beach party massacre right it's perfect it, it's then it's perfect exactly yeah. but the blob it seems like they were going for a more serious tone yes, yes there's there's you. instances of humor you know there's a couple of funny lines and a couple of funny characters here and there but ultimately it seemed like they wanted to play it fairly straight and that song just <laughs> it did right not prepare me yes exactly <laughs> I hear um, you. Let's see. Um, I I didn't like some of the ADR in the movie. Is oh, that's my number well. one. Oh, mm-hmm. it's not well uh, recorded. It's terrible. Terrible. And specifically, specifically Anita Corso. Her some of her ADR is awful. Specifically, yeah. there's a scene when she's in the car with Steve McQueen, and like all her. of her dialogue, like her head is face, the back of her head is facing the camera. But she actually has like multiple lines of dialogue that are obviously all ADR'd and they just sound terrible. They're not, I cannot even, get over that. even in that scene, like Steve McQueen's like his lips aren't quite matching up the yeah, dialogue too. Terrible. Like, yeah, yep. it's horrible ADR. Horrible. Yeah. Another thing about Jane, uh, about Anita Corso's character, did you notice that there were long moments in the movie where she would be in a scene but not say a word? Not, not she didn't do a lot at all. Yeah, for a yeah. Lot, for a lot. I mean, there yeah. was a 
there was a good 15 minute stretch between the doctor's office and the police station <laughs> where she is literally just a paperweight. Yeah, you could have stood a statue yeah. there and it would have did just exactly. as well. And then she was kind of like sneaking out to, to help him. And I'm like, I don't even think she liked him very much. <laughs> it didn't seem that way. No. It's so right. Yeah. In real life, she actually didn't. <laughs> oh, there you go. Steve McQueen, she, I, probably Steve McQueen was not well liked at all. Uh, really? As a person? Yeah. No, yeah. He couldn't. All right. Yeah. I, I found a 1989 interview with the filmmakers That's for right. a Fantastic mag- magazine. Yeah. Um, and the producer, Harris, uh, he said that he was, um, quote, totally obnoxious. Nobody liked him. Nobody wanted him. And throughout the interview, they also describe him as, Mark, if you want to believe me at a certain point, you can, um, a pain in the ass, a prima donna, and a son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> I guess that he was he was constantly complaining. Um, one of the things, he, he liked to improv a lot, and he couldn't do that with all these special effects. Um, but he was very demanding. Uh, I guess that he was just... <sighs> He was just kind of a jerk. One of the things that he would do was he liked to bring his gun on set and he would fire. He would like shoot at cans and uh, and back of the commissary. And they would tell him, like, you know, kids play back there. You probably shouldn't do that. He's like, oh, it's okay. I'm a good shot. And (laughs) one of the things that he would do, he had this dog, this big dog. I don't remember exactly what kind of dog it was, but he wanted, I guess, people to be afraid of it. But it wasn't because it was just this little sweet dog, Um, big sweet dog. Um, But he would put cans on top of the dog's head and shoot them off. What? And I guess like six six months after this production, he actually missed and actually killed his dog. Um, so that's that's kind of the way the dude was. Like he was a he was a grade eight jerk. I guess I'm, like he was. I'm just, glad horror gal's not on this episode. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, a shriek. Um, he, he was yeah he, he was just a, he was kind of a d bag. Um, but yeah, he really. Um, but w- one interesting piece of trivia with him, you know, of course he died of cancer, and I, I heard the one of the producers saying this. Um, in the room in Mexico where he died, all right, it was actually when Billy Graham went to go pray for him. There was actually a poster of the Blob on the wall, uh, even <laughs> wow. though he kind of he tried to kind of distance himself from the film over the years, you know. Um, really? But still, the the Blob was there when he passed. Um, <laughs> Came back <around. laughs> So yeah, there, there's there's Steve McQueen. Nobody really liked him. <laughs> yeah, that nails it. I, I didn't know any of that, so that's that's awesome to hear. <laughs> Don't mix yeah. words. Tell me how you really feel. Yeah. <laughs> remember that. Do you remember that from Saturday Night Live? Oh yeah, he was an <laughs> ignorant son of a bitch. Don't make words. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, uh, I know you guys have this oldest teenagers I, I probably have ever seen. I mean, oh, there's yeah. some bad ones, oh, yeah. but yeah. you know this this has to be. I, I've, seen, seen. I've seen worse. No, you, really, no, you I didn't. really have. I have seen worse. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, this is even in the eighties, they were a lot worse. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I, you nailed mine. The ADR like was absolutely, <laughs> absolutely brutal for me in some parts. Uh, some limited effects. Um, <sighs> really, but somebody else hop in. I'll think of something else. <laughs> um, ultimately, this was not the best Steve McQueen performance. I mean, I understand this was early in his career, so maybe he was still honing his craft. But there were a few scenes where it legitimately looked like he just didn't want to be there. Some of his reactions didn't make sense. Um, when uh, right after the backward street race, the, the reverse street race, the <laughs> yeah, look, that the was. look that he makes when he realizes that there's a cop there is just so flat and just, uh, I, 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 my eyes almost rolled out of my head. Yeah, dude. 
Yeah, I hear you. Oh, I got. I th- I figured another one out that had me like really laughing. Once again, we're gonna pick on Jane for a second. When <laughs> when when she sees the blob and she falls into that setup of cans, she literally looked like she turned paralyzed from looking at it. It was the absolute most wooden over. It was unbelievable. Watch somebody has to watch that. Even as a clip, I might throw it up on Facebook. I'm telling you what, it'll give you a laugh. Like, you could have swore she got hit by a bomb, and all she did was see the blob. (laughs) I have to say, even though we're talking about these as dislikes, I still enjoy a lot of these things in the film. It's it's like goofy stuff, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I know when we talked about about them, I said it didn't feel like a B-movie. This one does. Oh no, yeah. that's this a good one thing is to say. Definitely a B movie, mm-hmm. and, and don't go in expecting. It's a good-looking B movie. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, and I, it did. It did have a decent budget. Um, it had a hundred and ten thousand dollar budget, which might not seem that much, but in today's money, that's about nine hundred and thirty-five thousand. So close to a million-dollar budget. So it's it wasn't like, you know, something that was shoestring budget. Right, but, but uh, no, it's like the last movie and this movie, completely different feel, tone, yeah, yeah, everything uh-huh. about it. Oh, oh, last one, guys, last one. It, it, I, it's not a dislike, but I got to say this. The Colonial Theater at that time was healthfully air-conditioned. Did you guys <laughs> see that sign? Yeah. Healthfully air-conditioned. <laughs> healthfully yeah. air-conditioned. I mean, I'm still yeah. trying to figure that one out, but maybe, the, I don't know. I don't it's know. It's for I can't your think. health. Yeah, sure, <laughs> okay. Yeah, just just like a, a a good cigarette calms your nerves. Yeah, the doctor recommended it would be. Yeah, the doctors smoking it in the office. Yeah. Oh god. Uh, yeah, there, unhealthy. There, this is good stuff. Now man. this oh, yeah. this is the this is the biggest gripe with me, and I think it's just because they didn't have the wherewithal to do this. This would be the easiest monster to get away from. Yeah, there's ever. Not a lot it, it just like rolls. It's not even like fast. Um, just step Only around it, right? Right. Say, excuse me, and step around it. It doesn't like reach out. Excuse me. <laughs> it has to like completely get on top of you. I just you know, yeah. and, and come on, I don't. The the little boy at the end. First of all, yeah. What are you gonna do? Throw the cap gun at the blob? <laughs> first of all, your butt should be home. What are you doing out here? And then he runs uh, into this diner, and the blob is still, you know, 20 yards away from him. And instead of, like, grabbing the kid and running, they, they're they all of a sudden trapped in the diner. Yeah. And the, and the blob is over top the diner. What? That became, like, the fastest blob. Yeah, it all of a sudden turned into a different world. Yeah, yeah, so, but I guess that's probably, they could not do... We wouldn't have an ending yeah, if that didn't yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so just go with it. But I just wish it would have, you know. Oh, I hear you. A little you, bit I more uh, believable. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, any more dislikes, guys? Yeah. And, and just that the fact that it was just a random thing that he, you know, used the the fire extinguisher. Fire extinguisher and and mm-hmm. freeze it. But I no, I guess it's not random because it did start a fire, right? Yeah, he was putting out tried, a fire. Yeah, they they tried to electrocute it, and that didn't work. So he did try to put. So I guess it wasn't that random, but mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I would I would have liked to have seen a little bit more once the uh, 
you know, the, the army or whatever got there. Yeah, yeah, like, me too. Like, how did they get it into into the, the helicopter the, the plane whatever, or whatever plane. it is? Yeah. And did it kill anybody in the process? I don't know. And right. just give is, me good, good. I like it. just give me like one shot of like the frozen creature at the end, just one yeah, wide angle shot. That, yeah. I mean, it couldn't have been that hard to do it, you know. I, it see, I mean, I have no idea how expensive it might have been, but it seems like it would have been a nice little bow on the package to just show, you know, the blob, Huge you know, blob, draped yeah. draped over the diner, frozen. That would have been cool. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right, guys, we're done. Uh, what are we gonna do to the end here? Oh, let's just uh, throw a picture of a little parachute. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and a big, big question mark. That'll that'll leave them wanting. But <laughs> yep. <laughs> but that that's the thing. This is right for a modern day retelling or a sequel because global warming. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. What and, is yeah. what is the 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 uh, the line the cop says? Oh, you think it'll work? Oh, it'll be good as long as the Arctic stays cold. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, let there me you tell go, you. man. Let me tell you, you sir. <laughs> yeah. Little did you know, in just a few decades. Yeah, I thought I think it'd be pretty funny. Yeah, <laughs> if they used that and, and came out with a. I heard that they're doing a remake that was supposed to come out in 2016. Yeah, that's been talked about for a long. I don't time, know if but... that's ever going to happen, but hmm. well, uh, we we're, think, we think we about could. what they could do nowadays. Yeah, man. I think well, that would be. We got that 80s one that's incredible, so happy with that. Okay, guys, uh, why don't we talk about any trivia? Got any cool facts or anything on the blob? I know you sprinkled some throughout there. Yeah, we sprinkled some throughout. It did did make $4 at the box office on that $35,000 budget. So that is is roughly $34 million in today's money. Yeah, it made money. Yeah, not too bad. I think this was kind of interesting. In 2008, at the TV Land Awards, which is a very prestigious award <laughs> ceremony, top of the line, it was nominated for best movie to watch at the drive-in. I can see that. What did hey, I tell can't, you? can't argue that one, man. What did I tell you? Um, yeah, the address of the Colonial Theater is 227 Bridge Street, Phoenixville, PA. So go there and check it out. Uh, mm-hmm. It is during the month of July. So this is, you know, hopefully uh, it, this finds your ears uh, before um, the Blob Fest happens in July. So you can go and, and watch the movie and, and do like Walsh did and run out of the theater. Um, yep. Fall over, get, smile. Get your picture. Yes. Um, what else? I do know that Anita Corso's name is misspelled in the credits. Oh, nice pickup, man. Well, what yeah. kind, of, kind of name is Anita Corsa? I well, that's believe, why they misspelled it. I believe it's French. I want to <laughs> yeah, say French. I'm, ju- I'm, just, kidding. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Uh, This is funny. Steve McQueen had the poster of this film on his bedroom wall at the time of his death. Yeah. So that, that's yeah. weird because it didn't seem like he had a good time making this movie. And everyone yeah. seemed to think he was a, a butthole. But. <laughs> I know this was his first feature role. I mean, he had been in things, but this is the first time that he was kind of the headline. Right. Yeah. So I guess I guess maybe it played uh, you know, something. It, it gave him a little bit of uh, satisfaction knowing that 
Um, he was offered $2,500 to make this movie or 10% of the profits. Oh, I wonder what he took. He took the 2500 Really? So mm-hmm. that means that he could have had a lot more. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but whatever, you know, that yeah. means he wasn't too smart. I guess they didn't think this thing was going to do too well. All right, so let's rate it, guys. Let's rate it. Let's rate it. Um, actually, I'll hop in first. Uh, I'm going to actually come in with a 7 out of 10. Um, it's more of a nostalgic score for me. If I was going to get technical, I'd probably give it a 5. Um, it's got its problems, but it's just fun, man. It's that comfort food type of movie, uh, and you got to watch it. I mean, especially for our horror cast drive-in, this is, uh, this is probably at the top of the list for for a drive-in movie. So I'm glad we got it in the first episode. Uh, so. Definitely check it out. All right, uh, Vin, right? Uh, we're coming a little bit higher. Uh, I'm coming an eight out of ten. Um, this movie has its problems, but it's also got a lot of charm to it. Uh, charm. It's yeah. you know, it, it's it is a yeah, it is a beautiful looking film. Um, it's a lot of fun, and you know, them is a better movie, but the Blob really became a major pop culture phenomenon. Yeah, you know, more than this that, is. Man. Yeah, this is everybody knows the blob. Even people who don't like horror and like that, you say them, people have no idea what you're talking about. They don't know how to giant ants, but everybody knows what the blob is. Um, and it's it's kind of been within our within our pop culture ever since. Um, I think for good reason. It's it's not a bad film. You know, it's it's a little bit goofy, it's a little bit rough around the edges, but it's also a lot of fun in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. so yeah, the eight out of ten. I I still think again with all of these movies. You know, if there's any listeners out there who aren't used to 1950s films or anything like that, you know, it, you gotta you gotta go in there adjusting your perspective, you know, <laughs> your expectations it, of these things. Right. You know, expect to see some shoddy special effects, but you know, take it in with glee. You know, <laughs> indulge in those things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so the blog for me, eight out of ten. I, I think it's I, I own it. I own the Criterion Collection. I'm glad I do. Yeah, that gotta say I didn't mention that. How about that release? Is that unbelievable? That's good. Oh, it's so good. That transfer and the features. Amazing. Amazing. Okay, um, Jerry, what is your rating for The Blob? All right, this is a movie that I have a little bit of trouble giving a rating to because I have to balance whether you know I'm looking at this through the eyes of a horror fan or whether I'm looking at this as the eyes of a horror movie critic. Um, if I was giving this movie a score based just on the actual joy that it brings me watching it, you know, every year or two, then I would give it an eight out of 10 because yes, it is cheesy fun. It is a popcorn film. It's a great film to watch with your friends with a few drinks, have a few laughs, laugh at the, some of the horrendous acting in in the movie. But, um, so in that case, I would give it an eight. If I was scoring this specifically as just a horror movie critic, I would have to take a few, a couple of extra points off for some of its downfalls, some of its bad writing, bad acting, not the greatest effects, some, some decent effects definitely throughout, but there were a couple of scenes where the blob just looked like grape jelly to me. And, uh, so I, I kind of have to dock it for that. So if I was using my horror movie critic eyes, I would give it a six out of 10. So I'm going to go ahead and split the difference. And for the horror cast, I'm going to give this seven blobs of jelly out of ten. Very good. All right. Uh, Mark, finish it up. Rate the blob. Yeah, I'm going to give it a an eight, an eight out of ten just for pure nostalgia and enjoyment. Not, not the best movie, but a, a really good B movie. 
uh, that's enjoyable to watch. And I, I second and third that uh, Criterion release. I have it, and it's, uh, it's great. Yeah, I mean, when we talk about B movies, this is one of the cream of the crop. When you're talking yeah, about it's a B at the movie, top, yep, top, you yep, know, top ten, I mean, top ten boom, yeah. movies of all time. Yep, absolutely. I mean, that's that's what you're getting into. You know, if you're going to go watch The Blob, you're watching a B movie, but you're really watching one of the best. Mm-hmm. Whereas with them, I went into it expecting a B movie, and I actually got just a legitimately great film. A so good that's movie. Why yeah, yeah, that's why I gave that one a little bit higher score, just because yeah. I I was pleasantly mm-hmm. surprised at how well it was made. Yeah, my my vague memories of them were I had lumped them in with the rest of all the big you know the creature features of the fifties that I had seen since, and again I had seen it at a time where I wasn't really appreciative of it, and then going back to it, I was really surprised at just how good of a movie it was. So mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of with you on there with there, Jerry. Okay, guys, well, that is going to do it for our two uh, movie reviews for the HorrorCast Drive-In. And I'll, let's let you guys know what we have planned coming up. Mark Nadal, tell the people. Well, coming up on episode, what, 35? We are going to be going back to our normal format. Uh, the HorrorCast Drive-In is going to be every other week uh, for a couple months. So, basically, we are going to uh, hear from our listener, Henry who won our little contest on Facebook and chose the movies that we are going to talk about, and he's going to join us, the movies that he chose. And I'm I'm excited to, to talk about these movies. It's going to be a heavy episode. Heavy episode, <laughs> and I know Vin is going to have lots of stuff, and I've got some great stories, let me tell you. We're going to be talking about 1973's The Exorcist, and mm. then the, uh, oh, I don't remember the, the year, 2000-something. Uh, 2005 or 2005 maybe around that exorcism of emily rose so those are two of my favorite horror movies and uh yeah so we'll be talking about that next time and then we'll be back episode 36 rolling into the horror cast drive-in and i don't have we decided what movies we're doing not quite yet we'll put we'll post something um yeah we'll post we'll we'll get to that we'll get to that yeah but you're you're gonna get some uh other great 50s horror sci-fi b-movie action yeah that's for sure man okay let's get our plugs in here uh first i want to thank you jerry uh, there's that phantom train that always comes by to ruin the episode but uh i want to thanks jerry thank jerry cortez once again uh you did a great job uh we're happy to step up to the plate for us man it means a lot so thanks jerry Absolutely. Thank you so much for the invite, guys. I, I can't express how much I appreciate uh, getting spots on the show, and I look forward to talking to you guys again about some great horror films. Yes, you will be back, my man. Uh, where can <laughs> the people find you, Jer? All right. Well, um, you can also hear my wonderful voice on another podcast that I actually do with Mark, Mr. Mark Nato, uh, and that would be the Rad Radio All 80s Podcast. We have put out four episodes so far where we've discussed various 80s movies television shows songs video games things like that uh we'll be recording episode five coming up very soon and that should be out in the next couple of weeks or so um if you want to hit me up uh you can hit me up on facebook either at the rad radio facebook page or you can hit me up at my personal facebook page facebook.com slash mr venom uh you can hit me up on twitter on twitter i am at jerry venom 
On Instagram, I am Venom Horror. If you want to see shots of uh, all the horror conventions that I go to and various uh, horror memorabilia that I have. And then if you want to hit me up uh, on email, if you're still one of those email types, you can hit me up on radradiovenom at gmail.com. Awesome. I'm still waiting to hop on Rad Radio. I'm excited <laughs> to get on there once. Um, that's a great thing you guys have going, and it's a cool little divergence from what we're in uh, right now with the horror. Uh, who doesn't love the 80s, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, Vin, where can the people find you, man? Uh, my blog, which I'm hoping is going to get a little more active again this summer when I have time, uh, is Uh It can be found on Twitter at RevenantReview, and I can be reached via email at TheRevenantReview at gmail.com. Sweet. Mark Nato. Well, you can email me and the rest of the gang uh, with anything that you want to say, uh, requests for reviews, all of that, at asktheharcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at the HCast. And you can uh, check us out on Facebook, on our Facebook uh, group page, which now we're about 20 away from 3,500 uh, members. And, and get on there and be be um, active and talk about all things horror. That would be awesome. Uh, I know um, that myself and Walshy and um, Vin try to be as uh, active on there as possible. And I know Jerry's on there quite uh, often. So, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, communicate with us. Communicate with us that way. And, uh, yeah, we'll we'll go from there. That's it. And as for me, you get me through the what just Mar- what Mark just mentioned and also I'm on the Facebook as Walshy Horrorcast or Larry Walsh depending on what I'm signed in on that day uh, so just find me there and please check out our partners and some other fantastic podcasts at the Phantom Podcast Network they got a great thing going and you can find them at downrightcreepy.com Well, guys and gals, I hope you have a safe ride home, and we want to thank you for listening to the HorrorCast, where it's all killer, no filler, and please stay scared. Hey there, hi there, ho there, guys and gals, this is Rockin' Johnny Rayburn. Be careful heading home to Mom and Pop. Tonight I'm going to leave you with the five blobs with Beware the Blobs.